Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, we've got Kurt Russell Cop Week with Tango and Cash and Tombstone. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Who's going to uh, try to watch the Justice League, the Snyder Cut today? But then Amanda expressed interest in maybe watching it as well, so I was like, fuck, I'm I, off to I managed. I managed to pull it off, but... Uh, you did? It took it took two days worth of watching because that is the longest fucking movie. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Why the hell did they release it as one? Why isn't it? Can you like at least isn't it like chapters? Can you pick the chapters? I don't know. Well, it's not. I don't know. We'll talk about it at the end. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything that might be spoilery. I would. I would say every problem that Zack Snyder has making movies, he does all that stuff. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not the best at telling a story, which is kind of what you need to do. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I wasn't interested in the Snyder cut. I wasn't interested in the Whedon cut of Justice League. I wasn't interested in the Snyder cut. And then they're like, it's four hours long. And I'm four hours? No, absolutely, I will never watch that because <laughs> it might. So I will say this: it's better. I mean, that's that's a true statement. It's it's better than it was. But is it comparatively better? Or would it be a good movie if it just would have came out as what it was intended to be instead of... I, I don't know. And this is kind of a weird, silly thing to say, but in, in a lot of ways, Snyder got to cheat. Yeah. Oh, it's... It's not every day you get to know everything that people didn't like about a movie before you make a movie. Mm -hmm. Well, there's that, plus there's the fact that he gets to make it for four hours long, which it wouldn't have been if it was a theatrical release. Right, right. That's plus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He had a lot of advantages going in, and a lot of the CGI looks uh, significantly better. Mm-hmm. But once again, that's what happens when you get to do it twice. Yeah, you're improving it rather than right. starting from scratch, of course. Yeah. So does that say anything about Zack Snyder making a movie, or does that say something about this is what happens when you get to do it twice? <laughs> well, there's also the fact that the first movie was somebody else trying to fix an existing property, which is hard to do, right? Right. So it's like, I mean, like, like I said, he I don't know. It's at a disadvantage, and Snyder's not an advantage. And the result is two shitty movies. 
it's it's like I said, it's significantly better than it was, and I don't know. It's hard to it's hard <laughs> like I said, it's hard to, it's hard to explain without getting spoilery. Mm. Well, maybe we hold off till next yeah, week and we can have a spoilery discussion because I plan bad. on at least watching yeah. it sometime this week. Yeah, it's it's a significantly it's a significantly better uh, story than it was. Although once again, Zack Snyder's not very good at telling stories, no. which is why he needs four fucking hours to do something that any other movie could do in much less time better. Yeah. And I, I mean, he kind of did it to, so that he could put fucking origins in. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? You get like a yeah. lot more cyborg, a lot more flash. Oh, goody. I hate him a little bit less. At least they make an attempt to make him more comic booky Flash. I mean, he's still obnoxious Ezra Miller Flash, but they they massively improved Cyborg. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but four hours. It 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 took me two attempts to get all the way through it because I like I tried to watch it in one sitting and I was like, this is too much. This is fucking four hours long. This is I'll watch honestly, the last. Yeah, I'll watch the last hour later. This is becoming a serious problem with fucking directors and getting a little bit too much leeway. As much as I like to see directors get leeway, and I don't want studios interfering, you know, like I still haven't gotten around to the Irishman because I don't have a day to dedicate oh. to that. And now I'm never going to watch this. And it's just like, just make a movie a reasonable length, right? Like, shoot for about two hours for your. That's about right. You can come in a little lower. You can come in a little higher once in a while, but you start making four-hour movies. It's like okay, then make a mini-series if that's what you want to do. I, I will. I will say this: there's there's one thing that you that's glaringly obvious when you watch this movie that's disappointing. So even with getting to do it twice, and even with the extra money and all that kind of stuff, the CGI in it. It still looks like shit compared to the Marvel superhero movies. I mean, it looks like shit compared to them. And it's not even bad. It just looks like shit compared to what we're getting out of other stuff. But does it at least not have a weird face Superman in it? I didn't notice weird face Superman. So I don't know if they reshot it. Then that's an improvement. Well, I think the the only reason they had weird face Superman is because they reshot stuff when Whedon took over. So, I think uh... right. Oh, although th- I find that interesting because all of that stuff that supposedly Whedon shot extra is mm-hmm. all in the movie. Yeah. Well, I don't think he was. I don't think Snyder was done. So I'm sure he had to use some stuff that they had used in the previous one just to have it make some what of a linear sense i don't know yeah like i said i haven't seen it and honestly it's it's been it's it's interesting because it it very much is a it's a different movie well i haven't seen the other one since theaters and i remember jack shit about it really so i'm not even sure if i'm gonna know what was from the original and what wasn't well, you'll you'll know it's different because there's about five more fucking characters than there was. <laughs> <sighs> good times. I don't know. It's cool, and there's some there's some good comic book stuff. You know what I mean? Like insidery nerd comic book stuff that they added. Mm-hmm. 
but I feel like I don't, I don't know because of what this movie is. It feels an awful lot like Zack Snyder going, no, look, see, see, I know comic book stuff. I don't just butcher other people's scripts. Yeah. yeah. It's still, it still all has, I was going to say, it still all has toilet water filter on it. Yeah. It's the only good comic book movie he's capable of making is the one where there was somebody standing there going, don't you dare change a fucking thing. Don't you dare. Nope. Exactly like this. Huh. See this page? Make it look exactly like this. So. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I, I still, Watchmen's is the only comic book thing that I've really thought was. Yeah. Yeah. Serviceable. And I mean, and even it has some significant deviations from hmm. maybe what should have been. I mean, have you seen the ultimate cut? I don't think so. Oh, so that's, maybe that's what you're missing. Well, but what it's my like my big thing is long again though. It's like three, it's like three and a half. But I yeah. mean, if you want a complete version of what the Watchmen book was, this is the closest you're right. going to get to it. I was I was going to say my my complaints aren't necessarily the the changes. Like I get that they changed the the ending, and I kind of understand why they did that. Mm. But my biggest complaint is in the comic book. There's this sort of visceral shittiness about the uh, outfits that all the superheroes wear. You know, it, you, I, it's hard to explain. Like, they don't look polished. None of the characters look shiny. And in the movie, all of the superheroes are shiny, if that makes sense. Yeah. It does. I don't know. That's a, that's my biggest complaint about Watchmen, because it's, 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 I don't know. There's something tonal about that that's very important to the nature of the story. About you know, because it's supposed to be like this is what happens if superhero were <laughs> superheroes were real, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not good, like it's bad. Anyways, none of those movies have any of the Stallone brothers or Kurt Russell. So they, don't, they don't fit into. Our I'm not. I'm not movies. entirely convinced that Kurt Russell wasn't snuck into one of these movies. Uh, so that was Doug doing a segue. Yeah. Although he did just point something out that there is a white actor that was around at that time that was not in Tombstone. <laughs> just you found one. This, that's the one. Sylvester Stallone wasn't in there. You can't have both Stallones in the movie. That's gonna yeah. fuck everything up. Frank that's got like it's like students. it's like Time Cop, where if you have the same version of yourself, you can't touch. Otherwise, you'll <laughs> destroy the universe. You can't be in the same film. Two Stallones cannot occupy the same space. Exactly. Uh, well, I guess uh, should we start with the more famous Stallone? Uh, <laughs> Noah, do you want to tell us about Tombstone? Sure. Uh, Tombstone is basically the retelling of the events around the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, which had to do with Wyatt Earp and his brothers moving to Tombstone, where they eventually came into conflict with a uh, gang that were called the Something Cowboys. I can't remember what the beginning of it is. It's too complicated. So for the movie, they just called them the Cowboys. Right, right. Yeah. Like, no, we can't have a gang with a two word name. That's too much. Yeah, it's well, it's like a three name thing. It's like the yeah. something cowboy something. They they was a really dumb gang name. 
Someone was like, can we just call them the Cowboys? And everybody's like, okay. Uh, I don't... Sorry, I'm, I'm getting the, the real story in the movie jacked up in my head. <laughs> so, so in this version, they, they go to disarm these guys who have been shooting up the town the entire time. Uh, a gunfight ensues where a couple of these cowboys are killed. And then the cowboys retaliate by crippling one of Wild Earp's brothers and uh, outright murdering the other one. And then Wyatt Earp forms a posse and hunts these guys down and murders all of them. Otherwise, unleashes holy hell on uh, everybody. Yeah. In uh, which this I I would call this loosely loosely based on truth. It's it's super interesting if you look into the truth about this story because some of the shit in this movie that you think seems very Hollywood actually mm-hmm. happened because Wyatt Earp's life is just interesting as shit <laughs> and so it's like some of the stuff that seems made up you're like nah that can't be true and you look into it and you're like holy shit actually happened and then other stuff is like why'd they fake that that doesn't make a lot of sense well, there's just and then there's a lot of random stuff in the story so Val Kilmer plays Doc Holliday mm-hmm. um, in which I've always found the, the mythos of the Doc Holliday character to be really fucking interesting yeah. Because supposedly he was this fantastic gunfighter and he killed 10 men and you know, there's all, you know, all those man stuff. But a lot of people have done actual research into it and nobody can verify any of this. So supposedly no. almost every story about Doc Holliday is a complete fabrication. They're all fabrications. He killed. They can only confirm like two or three guys he killed. Yeah. And those two or three guys were at the OK Corral. It's, yeah, there's no real, there's no real um, proof that he was anything. People were definitely intimidated by him, but there, a lot of the theories that I was reading up this week are basically that he was making up bullshit about himself and so doing such a good job of spreading it that people were scared of him because they thought he was this great gunfighter even while he was alive. And yeah, there was not real, real evidence of it. Right, right, and the fact that so the sh- the shootout of the OK Corral. They make a like Wyatt Earp is always the central character when the story is told. In which the reality of it is not even fucking close to that. Like <laughs> Wyatt Earp had very fucking little to do with the actual shootout. He was very ancillary. His brothers were involved and, and a bunch of other shit, but he was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Now, now all the murders afterwards. Yes, he. <laughs> directly participated in murdering but, but even that the movie implies like dozens of murders and the actual number is closer to four or five kind of thing right <laughs> because everyone thinks the old west was just like everybody shooting everybody constantly but that's just not accurate but you can't put in a movie where only four people get killed because that's not it's not a yeah. movie especially not in the 90s yeah and they kind of they kind of mention it in the movie but another weird thing is so uh Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were both declared murderers for their part in uh I do believe it was the killing of the guys at the train station yeah because there's if you the part in the movie which where you see him like literally just gun a guy down in like cold blood full-on happened in front of a bunch of witnesses. So the whole time that he was doing his vendetta raid, 
he was being chased by legitimate law enforcement who were just trying to arrest him for the murder he committed in open public. Right. It gets it gets really complicated because, you know, he was showing that fucking marshal's badge or whatever. But he if I remember right, he wasn't a marshal. So he formed a federal posse. So technically they had some legal authority, but yeah. the but but it was the marshals who were after him for murder. Right. Well, because just being even in the old west, again, this is what people there were things like laws and procedures, and you're not allowed to just if you're a marshal or not, you can't just murder a guy in cold blood. You're, you know what I mean? And we. The movie implies very heavily that, you know, he tries a couple of times to arrest guys and make them stand trial, and those guys are just let off. And there's there's truth to that in history as well, that, you know, the, the scene where the the old town marshal gets shot, like, I forget the character's name, but the old guy with the big white beard who's like the marshal when they get there, and right. that scene where, where Curly kills him. That actually, that's one of those things that seems like a Hollywood moment, but that basically happened the way it's in the movie from what, you know, YouTube videos and shit have told me because it's not like I was there. But, um, and that, and they, they did let that guy off on some technicality. Just said, oh, the gun probably fired by mistake, even though that doesn't make any sense, really. Right. <laughs> right. Then, you know, so to I mean, like, so they, so there's that incident, and then there was there were people put on trial for killing uh, killing his brother Morgan, and they were got they were let off because I think it was one of the guys like his like his hat and stuff was found at the scene, but then a bunch of the other cowboy guys just said no, no, he was over here with us, and it's like in court, how do you argue that? So they they just won, and that's when that's when why it kind of snapped and went on his killing spree. So you can understand it, and you can see how by 80s or 90s movie logic, he's justified. But on the other hand, he was just still... Murdered. Yeah, and there's there's other random weird things they change, too. So, like, the the lady that he's falling in love with or whatever, cheating on his yeah. wife who's, who's ill because he's a piece of shit. Well, she's uh, an ill-slashing addict. Yeah, yeah. They, they went through a lot of trouble to be like, oh, she's an actress, when in real life, she was a hooker. <laughs> well, like, in real life, all of the Earp brothers, before moving to Tombstone, were pimps as well. So it's not like they didn't right. have a history with Right, hookers. yeah, yeah, they all ran brothels. In uh, in Peoria, Illinois, at one point, Brian, you should be proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. We got yeah, lots of fun you... stuff like that in Peoria. <laughs> Yeah, there's inter there's some interesting things. So he was married. If I remember right, technically he was married four times. His his first wife died nine months after they got married, and uh, because of how shitty records were back then, nobody exactly knows how she died. <laughs> they think they think that either she was pregnant and she died during childbirth, or that she had typhoid fever and she died from that. Yeah. That's I, I heard that too, and I remember thinking, "You you got to know the difference between those two things." <laughs> well, I was going to well, say those right, are two different very different. There was no computer. <laughs> well, and they're two very different things. How did it get boiled down to two very different things? <laughs> it's because people are trying to write the history later, after the fact, after Wyatt Earp becomes I was old name, and looking back for records is almost impossible from that time. Yeah, I was going to say the one of the other interesting things. So the second wife. Uh, the one that was the prostitute, her like stories muddled up too, 
Because the third wife, who her name's Josephine, I don't know why she's the only one whose fucking name I know, but but after she married Wyatt Earp, she wrote several books and basically made it her life's goal to erase his previous wife from history. Like it's it's crazy. She she did everything she could to make sure nobody would ever actually know that woman's story. Bitches be crazy, yo. What do you Yeah, bitches bitches be crazy. <laughs> it's... But, but besides the actual history, let's talk about all the fun stuff. People get shot. They do. Uh, well, that, lots that, that, lots I mean, of great performances too. Yeah, that that's my one thing I would say this movie. As a historical drama, I don't know why there's so much changed unnecessarily when the actual story is so goddamn interesting. But then as a movie, God, this holds up well, right? Like, are we in agreement on that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it holds up, but this was the first time watch for me. Oh, really? Yeah, I just never got around to watching this it. This is your first time seeing Val Kilmer's performance. Oh, my how God. Did, how did you have conversations with teenage boys in the 90s when they were all just quoting this at you? What did you say in response? I guess I had no idea that this is really? what they were talking about. How did oh, Val Kilmer not win every Oscar for this movie? Right? I don't it is such a fun performance that moment yeah. when uh the first time when he and ringo come face to face and ringo's like flipping the gun around and he starts flipping his cup i will so never great. not laugh out loud every time that happens and so many little so great one-liners the the i'm your huckleberry and the, that is a hell of a thing for <laughs> you to say to me i fucking love every line delivery from him i do love the fact so every single person in this movie is putting on some kind of affectation right every single person and they're all very very well done billy zane's doing his uh gay but not gay actor from the old west and i mean even uh uh sam elliott is not same is that right yeah 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 sam elliott's hamming it up a little bit and going a little more stern Law man, you know, but of, of everybody, fucking Bill Paxton's just Bill Paxton, baby, right? <laughs> I was gonna say, when, when Bill Paxton's the most subdued of your entire cast, so that's, that's saying something. <laughs> I just, I was watching the whole movie. Every time Bill Paxton online, it would like throw you right out, and you'd be like, "What in the fuck, Bill Paxton?" <laughs> the thing is, he's the only one of these people that has like a natural Southern accent, so it actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like it, it totally fits, right? Oh, it's and, perfectly right. fine. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfectly it's, fine. It's just it's because he's darling. not hamming it up. Like it's yeah, oh, so good. Yeah, I was, I was really happy with this movie after watching it, and. uh yeah, like I'm just fixated on this Val Kilmer for performance, as I think everybody is. Um, but it makes a lot more stuff in other stuff make way more sense to me now. There's a wrestler named Dalton Castle who wrestles for Ring of Honor that I never realized was basically just doing this character. Oh, really? <laughs> he just has a very flamboyant personality and kind of an interesting cadence to the way he talks, and he has a mustache. And now all of a sudden it all clicks. I'm like, oh, fuck. He's totally doing Val Kilmer from this movie. I wish I could do the accent. Yeah. It's his delivery just on everything. Are we not friends anymore? I don't think I can bear it. <laughs> I love that. My favorite, when, when, he meets, he, when he meets Ringo the first time, he goes, what do you think? Should I hate him? 
Yeah, I think I'm going to hate him. <laughs> just, he's such a dick. I love it. <laughs> that one time where he challenges the clearly illiterate guy to a spelling contest. <laughs> oh, every line delivery is perfect from this character. Every moment is great. And I'm just, like, I'm a little hesitant to rewatch a movie like this because I'm like, is it going to hold up? Like, I know I loved it years ago and I have a great memory of it. And then you watch it now and you're like, yeah, it's fucking perfect. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's well constructed. It it like meanders off the path a couple times, but I think that's because they were trying to follow the story. You know what I mean? Like real life doesn't follow a, a three part story arc. No. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, if you're trying to compare this, like there's a lot that goes on in this movie where you're just like, I get it. You don't have that much time. Like all these characters in like the old west just running into each other. And it's like, I saw you yeah. in Dodge City, Kansas. I know you're coincidentally in Tombs- Tombstone, Arizona. Just by coincidence, we just ran into each other on the street and we all know each other by face. It's like, come on. But it's fine. It's a it is a movie, right? Yeah. Gotta go with it. <laughs> so um, like, I'm curious, Brian, as far as um as far as like the overall impact of the movie. If it's a first-time watch for you, were you, were you pretty happy with it? Just as an action movie, putting us. Oh, I was. It yeah. completely was. Um, I just, I kind of like the storyline of Wyatt Earp coming to, coming to town. Just to be like, I just want to make a ton of money and leave as soon as possible. And still getting end up getting wrapped up in all the you know local shenanigans, even though he tries his hardest not to. Yeah. And then, of course, when shit goes wrong, he gives some of the best. Like, Jesus Christ, Noah! Sorry, I was, <laughs> it was it was creaking because the seat was locked. Yeah. So I I was trying to unlock it, and instead, all it did was make even more noise. Uh, so of course, then his brothers get you know maimed and killed, and so he swears this vendetta through some awesome monologues, like at the fucking train station when he basically Hell's tells coming him. with me. <laughs> tells that guy and then lets him go so he can tell everybody else. I'm like, ah, oh, so good. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it just just as an action movie, all that's, that storyline is pretty much perfect. And, you know, yeah. again, again, putting aside the historical inaccuracies of he didn't exactly get dragged into becoming a lawman. He just wasn't making enough money dealing cards. So he actually decided to, you know, yeah. get, a, get another job. But whatever, that's not important. And an interesting thing I was going to bring up. Um, so we're going to be talking about it specifically in the next movie, but uh, Kurt Russell's charisma, of course. Oh, yeah. But in this movie, it's weird that he can sort of turn that charisma more inward and he becomes more of like a quiet, like serious character and still 100% works. Oh, what's Where's it, in, the, in the next Sorry. movie he's like super crazy like I want to go have a beer with that guy like yeah. charisma machine yeah. and you can just watch these two performances completely in contrast to each other and just know that like man he could switch it on and switch it off like in such a good like good way like he's so fantastic yeah what I liked about him in this movie is he has that natural charisma so when he comes to town and his reputation has sort of preceded him and everybody's already kind of intimidated by him and stuff 
he really plays that off very very well and then he kind of switches it into that like now he's going to be a card dealer and he's you know playing the game with everybody and kind of keeping the peace throughout the middle part of the movie he's you know constantly trying to break up fights and stuff by doing the oh, come on he's just drunk send him home yeah. and and he's using his charisma in that way to kind of just be just likable enough that everyone will listen to him and do what he says and then he turns it up to 11 at the end when it becomes the vendetta part of the movie and he's just like now he's the full-on action hero and you're like holy yeah. shit like he's it's like all these different versions of Kurt Russell. It's still Kurt Russell. He can't hide himself in a role, but it's oh. all these different versions of him. And he's using his charisma in different ways to, yeah. to, to kind of develop the character throughout the movie. And I, I really appreciated what he did. In the, movie. the funny thing is the very beginning of the movie <laughs> opens on a train pulling into a station and then a close up of like the steps and you just see a pair of feet come out took two steps and i'm like oh well that's kurt russell i recognize that slacker <laughs> anyway that's funny <laughs> i just this movie's got so many moments the the scene where he slaps the ever-living dog shit out of billy bob thornton about five times in a yeah. row <laughs> which let's be honest everybody's wanted to do that at one point in their life well, right. the, there's another thing is like as ridiculous as that seems very much based in history again like there's actually apparently a moment it's not exactly you know storyline wise it doesn't work exactly like it does in the movie but there was this moment where he wanted to take over this card game so he literally pulled the guy out of the bar by the ear (laughs) (laughs) how about that moment when uh when the guy comes back to take his revenge he's got the shotgun and then doc happens to show up and he's like after a few minutes he's like oh I'm sorry I forgot you were there <laughs> just a chubby Billy Bob Thornton standing there with a shotgun confused the whole time did you guys did you guys get really really nervous the first time you saw Powers Booth because I, I haven't seen this movie since it came out but man he comes out and he's got that really stereotypical um what the fuck's that called a Van Dyke mustache? It's like the pointy yeah. mustache and the little sharp goatee. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, oh, please do not talk with a fucking Spanish accent. Because this <laughs> is going to be so fucking racist. And then he doesn't. You're like, woo! <laughs> Bullet dodged. <laughs> He's fantastic, too. Like, his character is so good in this. Yeah. He fucking everybody fucking Thomas Hayden Church shows up as a side oh, character. God. I'm always happy to see that motherfucker yeah. movie. So this was like a third theme for the movie, uh, for both movies, which is everybody in the movie is somebody you've seen before. Yeah, <laughs> which is fucking ridiculous. I was watching Tombstone this time. I'm like, how the fuck did I forget Michael Bean is in this? Like, right? How, did, how do I miss that one? Like of all the people, but. Yeah. Oh, and we should mention one of the one of the fourth fourth theme for this for this week uh, has a Stallone brother in it. Um, we we introduced a Wild Bill. He's playing cards with Frank Stallone. <laughs> Just cause. Uh, sure. Why not? <laughs> Michael Rooker's in this fucking movie as uh, a random ass side character. Fucking Michael Rooker. Side character is dressed like one of the three amigos for some reason. <laughs> oh my god! And so Michael Rooker is a very intimidating guy in in most situations. But Not man, whenever he had that tight curly hair, you're like mean face. 
weird baby doll hair. <laughs> I don't, don't know how to feel about weird baby doll hair, Michael Rooker. Yeah, but are you going to be the one to go up to him and make a comment about his baby doll hair? I don't think so. Fuck, I think fuck, fuck me fuck, up. No, right? He would stab you in the face and laugh the whole time doing it. So it's just like, nah, he could have his baby doll hair. That's fine. You know, that guy got Corona, right? And you know what he did? He decided he was going to fight it off himself. So he took no medicine and he went and lived in like an Airstream trailer by himself so he wouldn't spread it and just fought it off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. Yeah, I remember hearing that. I just like, imagine yeah, yeah. fought it off literally oh yeah in my head it's like the superman 3 moment where fucking his body separated into the corona side and the other side and they fist fought it's like fucking merle dixon versus uh mr svenning from Mallrats, just going at it <laughs> yeah in the mayor's randomly fucking terry o'quinn for some reason <laughs> not for some reason because he's fucking terry o'quinn that's why He's good in the role, too. And it's funny because you have all these characters that, like, play very important parts, even though they're small characters in the movie. And you need these types of actors. And I think they got the right guys to do these smaller parts. Because a guy yeah. like Terry Quinn, like, when, when he starts to be important for a couple of minutes at a time, you pay attention to him because he's a good actor. Versus just some, like, you know, somebody that you get for scale. I'll, I'll tell you what did make me a little uh it, it toned down to my enjoyment of this movie when you guys saw sickly skinny sweaty doc holiday who's having problems breathing were you like oh no real val Kilmer is like that now <laughs> well, oh, i didn't even think about it thanks a lot uh, so yeah that's the very first thing i thought of i was like oh god he's he's come full circle he played this and now he is this He's not skinny. Last last time I saw a picture of him, he was getting real. I don't think he was as skinny as he was in Tombstone, but he's right. still... Uh, Especially still... after the trach and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because he was in Jane and Bob Reese, still kind of chubby in that. Uh, I think most of it was the suit he was wearing. Well, his face was... Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> We're now sitting here having a debate about Val Kilmer's weight, which is not exactly the type of analysis we usually do on the film or on the show. Yeah. So, Val, Val Kilmer didn't exactly have like a disappointing career by by any means, but doesn't it feel like he should have been way fucking bigger than he was? Yeah, he's one of those guys who let his ego get to him. I think that's the reputation, anyway. Obviously, I was never on a movie set, but. You know, that's why he only got to be Batman once, was because people just didn't want to work with him again and stuff like well, that. Well, and because that Batman movie wasn't good. Well, yeah, like, because the next one was good. Once they got rid of him, he was the problem. Now, he wasn't the problem, but <laughs> Lord knows studios are never going to admit that they're the problem. Anyways. <sighs> what else did you guys like about Tombstone? Because this is a fun conversation. For once, we're all agreeing on a movie being good and just having an enjoy good time talking about it. <laughs> All the things. Uh, well, I mean, Kurt Russell's mustache, <laughs> Sam, Sam just... Elliott's mustache, Val Kilmer's mustache. This must have been a really hard role for Sam Elliott to take on because to be surrounded by that many other mustaches that were being competitive <laughs> with your own. <laughs> I feel like uh, Sam Elliott's mustache was kind of fucked up in this movie, and I feel like he did it because he just needed his mustache to still stand out. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's kind of weird on the end of it. Fucking Charlton Heston's crazy ass shows up at oh, one point. That's right. I yeah. forgot. I even forgot about him. Even Apparently, it's like a very small role, but even his performance is solid because normally he pisses me off in movies, and I keep forgetting it's him in this movie until I watch it. So he just he, piss, he pisses me off in general. Yeah, I like his I like his movies, and then he's just such a fucking asshole. Uh, I think from what I read, this is this is the only scene the original director filmed before he got fired off the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they brought in whoever. But then, like, people say they brought in the new director, whatever his name was. Um, some long yeah. name. I'm not going to look up. Ram- Rambo 2 is his official. Yeah. Uh, and apparently he was just on the set to make sure things kept going. And uh, Kurt Russell ended up directing the rest of the movie. Yeah. I just figured because he's, uh, he's Italian, I believe, and I think they just brought him in. They're like it's a western. Just get an Italian guy to direct, and that's oh, how yeah. it works, right? It is studio logic we're talking about. So. <laughs> it, I will say that this film does not feel like it was directed by the guy from Rambo Two. Like, you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like a little bit of a higher concentration on storytelling and realistic everything, um, which could just be a director doing something different, or it could be that he wasn't as in control as he is in other situations. Is it really weird for you guys that it feels like they've been over backwards to try to do the love story is sweet, even though the love story is actually a dude cheating on his dying wife? Oh, yeah. And they left out the whole part where, like, Doc Holliday and Wider were fighting over that girl and weren't friends by the end of the story. Like they ended, you know, they they end it with the friendship, you know, being a very sweet, touching story, and the love story being all sweet and touching. And they leave out the like everybody here kind of sucked, right? Like they really gloss over the fact that nobody here is really a good guy. These are all a bunch of criminals fighting, and then, you know, at one point it literally does. They all the criminals become lawmen, and then it's just groups of criminal lawmen fighting each other. But you know, it's a movie. Yeah. Oh, why? Don't post sad pictures of sick Val Kilmer. <laughs> Doug said he didn't. He hadn't seen pictures of him, so I'm just letting him know this is what yeah. Val Kilmer looks like. But I don't look at my computer screen while we're recording, so you're upsetting uh-huh. Noah and benefiting me in no way. I will see those pictures like tomorrow when I try to do something else on my computer. He just <laughs> between the way he dresses and the the weird shape of his head as he's aged, now he looks like he's permanently playing some kind of weird Native American shaman living in a hut in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like, well, I can... You don't know. I can find another picture that illustrates that because I found one while I was looking. Just stop. Just get off the Val Kilmer illness train. It's not going I want to remember him as Mad Bart again. You're ruining it. <laughs> yeah. Why does he dress like that all the fucking time? <laughs> uh, lots of turquoise. Weird, just... like, bead necklaces. Like I said, he looks like it's like a cross between a Native American shaman and a pimp. <laughs> Just at all times. Uh, so good. Uh, yeah, big fan of this movie. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, <laughs> everybody should check it out. We should check it out. It's, it's yeah, another I've... one that I think is on, I watched through Disney Plus, even though it really shouldn't be on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, and it's a hard, it's kind of, it's one of those movies that it's hard to talk about that it, 
it just wants to devolve into you going, and then this cool thing happened, and then this cool thing happened, and then this cool thing happened. That final, uh, remember that final scene where um, Doc Holliday goes to confront uh, Ringo there, and they have their little shootout. The charisma of those two characters going back and forth off each other is awesome. Oh, God. Completely an invented scene. Probably never happened in real life. Don't care. Because it's just uh, so fun to watch. From what I read, uh, there is believed Ringo committed suicide. That's the official diagnosis. Yeah. But, you know, they found him leaning against that tree kind of thing. So. Yeah. <sighs> but then you get the great line of, I wasn't as sick as I was letting on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the performance, it's great. And for the movie, it's obviously a much better ending. It's just... Yeah. It, it's... It's almost like if they just took the name Wyatt Earp out of this and and all the all the memorable historical names out of this, it could be a better movie about just a group of cowboys. But yeah, it's, there's a lot of stuff too. Like I like the fact that because this movie was made in the '90s, the bad guy gang just has to wear a fucking red sash all the time because mm. apparently the, apparently the director was like picking sides in the Crips versus Bloods debate. Well, so. <laughs> white hat, black hat is too passe. Yeah. So. Uh, Yeah. As far as a movie goes, it's super fun to watch. And I think for people, even if you're not a fan of Westerns, like the shootouts are still fun and the performances are hilarious. And, you know, if you have a favorite actor and he's white, he's in this. Um, So you're all you're going to find something to enjoy, even if even if it's not the kind of movie that would normally appeal to people. Uh, if you find the debate about concealed carry uh, interesting, you can watch this movie and there's a whole subplot about that at one point. <laughs> there, is, there is a it's funny because the, there is um, the, the whole like guns rights conversation going on in this movie. And that's actually something that happened in real history. So well, when when did the story take place? Like 1860 something. <laughs> I just love the fact still, that Sam Elliott has to same. say. No one's saying you can't buy a gun. No one's saying you can't own a gun. No one's saying you can't carry a gun. You just can't carry your gun in town. Like, everybody's like, no! Oh, <laughs> fuck you! What the fuck? Because Sam Raimi's basically a communist, is what you're saying. You're saying not Sam Raimi, Sam... Elliot. Sam Elliott, yeah. yeah. What's funny is, like, if you look at... If you go back and you read, like, the historical debate about this, it is very much, like divided along political lines and like who sided with the cowboys and who sided with the herbs is very much divided on political lines and those political lines are drawn very much on like the sort of the city folk versus the rural folk it's nothing has changed nothing changes i'd never have faith for humanity because nothing will ever get fixed it's all the same shit over and over and over again (laughs) yeah (sighs) good times (laughs) um well anything else do we want to fast forward to the thrilling year of 1990, 91? 89, I think, is the next movie. Well, is it? Right. It's technically a rewind from the last movie, which was 93, so I don't know what you're... Yeah, but, well, it takes place in the 1800s, so I'm saying. Oh, I see, okay. Jump forward in time to, a, to another Kurt Russell movie. Uh, Doug, with, what... With a different what are, Stallone in it. With a different Stallone, the less least famous Stallone... Certainly uh, the one with the fewer songs that play over the credits of movies that his brother made. Um, that's true. What do you tell us about Tango and Cash? <laughs> Tango and Cash. Let's see. Uh, 
Tango is Sylvester Stallone. He's a straight-laced cop who wears fancy suits and drives fancy cars and um, makes tons of money in his stock market. (laughs) What's that? That he's straight-laced with a hard edge. Well, yeah, he's obviously a cop from the 80s, so he's still, like, takes down drug rings on his own rather than ever bringing back up with him or anything like that <laughs> he's, he's a loose cannon he's just a much less loose cannon yeah <laughs> he's a loose cannon from beverly hills it's a little bit different over there so then uh so that's tango cash is uh, kurt russell's character he's uh he does not he he does not dress as nice he goes out of his way to complain when he gets shot one time because the shirt he was wearing cost nine bucks he uh he lives in a small, you know, apartment in a rough neighborhood. I assume, based on his appearance, that he plays in a Bon Jovi cover band. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a mullet in this episode. It's. I thought the Jack Burton one was pretty, pretty epic, the, but this look, one is he, like if ten times. If he's walking around with that hair in those tight jeans and not singing in a Bon Jovi cover band, he's wasting an opportunity. That's what I'm so anyways, these two guys are known around L.A. because they keep busting all the drug deals and they're they're very famous for it. Like every day the newspaper has both of their pictures on the front of it because that's what newspapers were about in the 90s was putting the hero cops on there. I was going to um, say, do you know your local uh, cops who bust up drug rings? Off the top of my head, no. Are they front page I news? I do oh, not. Okay. Um, but uh, anyways... <laughs> So, eventually, the the head of the local like crime syndicate, played by Jack Palance, who somehow is fuck yeah, Jack Palance. Yeah, we'll talk about his performance because wow, yeah. um, he's the leader again, of like yeah. Again, another movie where everybody is played by somebody you've seen oh, before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he uh, he basically sets these two up to have them thrown in prison. Uh, Tango and Cash have to break out of prison because they're, in addition to being locked up, they're also thrown into general population in the worst prison ever where the, as you walk to their cells, it's literally a matter of every every prisoner was arrested by one of these two guys and it's usually in order, so whichever one of them talked last, the prisoner will yell out their name. Um, <laughs> and on an average day, they just throw burning fabric out of their cells. Oh yeah, and, and nobody cares. It's because that's, yeah. you know, it was still the 80s when this got made. Um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, they have to break out and try to clear their name. There's some uh, tension between the two because Cash is trying to sleep with Tango's sister. And uh, eventually they just go visit their version of Q and get all sorts of fucking huge weapons and then just wage war on this drug syndicate. <laughs> and then because they killed all the bad guys, they don't have to go back to jail. It's yeah. 80s logic. The, this ending is very problematic for <laughs> the future of these two cops. <laughs> they commit so many more crimes than the ones they were convicted of, but... It was the 80s, so that makes them heroes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which reminds me, we have to add the movie uh, Red, Red Heat? No. The, the Schwarzenegger one where that follows a very similar plot line. We're going to have to add uh, that to the list because yeah. it's real fun. Red Heat, I believe, yeah. Uh, so what did you think of Tango and Cash? <laughs> it's a movie. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm trying to decide if this inspired every movie from the 90s or if it was derivative of every movie from the 80s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like uh, if you think, oh, crazy 80s slash 90s buddy cop movie. Like, this is a fully formed idea of what that is supposed to mean. Exactly. It's it's like they wanted to do everything. They were like, buddy cop movie. And you're like, yes, buddy cop movie. Rogue cop. And you're like, oh, yeah, double rogue cop. That's great prison escape movie. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and a best friend that builds technology and can build them a super van. Wait, what? Like, Beverly Hills cop? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Put it in the movie. Yeah. It's that fucking gremlin sketch from Key and Peel. Just them naming right. off shit. And they're like, yeah, it's in the movie. Let's do it. It's. Isn't it fun to watch, though? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> the thing about this movie is it's full of one liner comedy notes that don't work. But yet yeah. you're still laughing so hard and having so much fun watching the parts that the movie thinks are serious that it doesn't matter. <laughs> the comedy it, doesn't work. Doesn't it feel super weird? So so the reason why the comedy doesn't work is they're throwing like one liners on top of one liners, which yeah. defeats the purpose of the one liner. And well, I, I don't know. It feels like this movie was written by two people well, there, and they were both be. told that the character that they were writing is the main character of the movie. Right. So you mean oh. they hired two actors who refused to play second fiddle to other actors <laughs> and who have a tendency to rewrite their own lines. Is that what you're suggesting, though? Yeah. I was going to say, that, Stallone that could, had a hand in, in Stallone had a hand in writing this movie, which is why he has all the one-liners that I'm sure he thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then he delivers them, and you're like, that's dumb as shit. He's like, that's Kurt a Russell, good one liner. How can I respond to that? The Kurt Russell will say something. You're like, that dude's fucking awesome. I want to hang out with him. <sighs> and there's beebs. There is in <laughs> one scene. Yeah, I mean, they're not what exactly plot scene? relevant. Well, so the people people scene. doing it in the car. There's oh, people doing it in the, the car, and then they're at the strip club, and then they're. It's not a strip club. That's just a weird '80s club that has a strippers. Show in it. Not exactly strippers. They didn't take off their clothes on stage. You had to wait until we were in the locker room. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that part. Which I'm sure Kurt Russell was like, "This is the best movie I've ever been in." When he's on set, <laughs> I did like the the one line of dialogue where he's like, because he, he's being chased by the cops and he meets up with Tango's sister, which is uh, what's her name. Terry Hatcher. Yeah. And uh, so that he's like, he meets up with her and, he, and he's in the locker room and there's just all the boobs everywhere. And they're all like, because one of the subplots is that Kurt Russell's character is irresistible to women. Oh. And so they're all just like fine with being naked around him. And they're super like happy to see him, even though he's in their locker room at their work, <laughs> which is a bit of an issue. But and he's like, ah, oh, look, there's nowhere I'd rather be, but we really have to leave. And you can just, the disappointment in his voice that he has to leave that locker room is hilarious. And it's also where he gets his uh, Elvis reference in for a yeah. track for the month. Of course. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a Clint Howard sighting. 
Yep. He's uh, Sylvester Stallone's uh, he, prison cellmate. He's amazing. Clint Howard was made for this role. I'm like, <laughs> you could see Clint Howard in a lot of things and go, okay, he got it because his brother is famous and shit. And mm. then you see him in this role and you're like, perfect. <laughs> that is just, that is when a character and a role just meet each other in the middle and it's just like he was born to play this part of this squirmy <laughs> little guy who just fidgets with a fucking... He's fidgeting with a slinky the whole time, and he just, as soon as he sees Tango come into his cell, he's like, he's like, you know, I, I killed whoever, and he's like, because I'm crazy. He's like, you don't, I'm not scared of you, because crazy people aren't scared of it. He's trying to act intimidating, and that's, he's like, it's Clint Howard standing next to Sylvester Stallone. Stallone just is no way intimidated, because why, how could one of those two guys ever, like, let me know which one intimidates which one. And they cut away, and they cut back to fucking Clint Howard tied up with his own slinky. That's <laughs> so good. So good. See, I reject that premise. If Clint Howard said something threatening to me, I would be horrified. Yeah, but you're not Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, if you look like Sylvester That's Stallone, true. I don't think you'd be scared of him. If I was Sylvester Stallone, my only worry would be my skin sloughing off my butt. <laughs> you're melting. Uh, yeah, I like it later when, when they're in there talking and he, he pops in. And he's like, hey, look, it's 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 my roommate Slinky. Up, Slinky. <laughs> and he just tops up. Like, yes, Slinky sir. learned his lesson. <laughs> what so else good. does he say? My prison fiance at some point or something like <laughs> yeah, that. About him. It's my fiance Slinky. Uh, yeah. uh, Robert Zadar shows up in the beginning and in the middle. Yeah. Which was awesome, which apparently he was only supposed to be in the beginning part, but Stallone loved him so much. He's like, we're going to put you as one of the ruffians in the in the prison, too. Oh, really? Yeah. That's good, because he ends up playing kind of a major role. And actually, if we're being honest, his role doesn't always make sense. Mm -hmm. Because during the prison escape scene, he's like one of the guards. But, <laughs> Pretty much. But he's one of the prisoners for the rest of the movie. So why is he one of the guards during that scene? <laughs> Well, it doesn't I think, make a lot of sense. I think it's just the corruptness of the prison. They let this guy sort of lead a search party after him. Yeah, they just went and got this one prisoner out of his cell and put him in charge of a search party of guards. And they're like, you be in charge of this search party of guards. And then every other search party will just be, you know, guards. Whenever Jack Palance says something, you just kind of go with it. Yeah. Can we talk about Jack Palance for a few minutes? Yeah, because let's do it. 1989, Jack Palance his entire career was made up of playing the head criminal that was in charge of getting together all of the other gangs of criminals to work under him. Mm. And somehow between this and Batman 89, he's more over the top and cartoonish in this, <laughs> which is uh. fascinating. <laughs> so I'm like, it's the same year. It's effectively the same role. And he's hamming it up so much more in this movie. I think because there's just comp more competition in this movie. It's Batman it's interesting Batman. because the next ten years is his career was playing the same character, oh, yeah. but he was the crime boss of some weird post apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> That's true. He's in Cyborg Two, I believe. Oh yeah, uh, the one with Angelina Jolie in it. Can we can we talk about Brian James's fucking yeah. British accent in this fucking movie? <laughs> 
What was that about? I don't know. I don't know who the fuck made that decision. uh, He did, from what I read. He just wanted to do something kind of goofy and off the wall, just because, I mean, it's it's Tango and Cash, so he's like, I just want to do something weird. That's probably, like, a good move, because you're like, how do I find a way to stand out in this cast? Okay, I'll do that. And apparently it was so bad. His accent's so bad that Stallone had trouble keeping a straight face during some of their scenes. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's <laughs> really bad. It has to be the scene on the roof where Stallone's threatening him to blow him up with a grenade. <laughs> it has to be the scene where he couldn't keep a straight face because I couldn't. So why should Stallone? <laughs> uh, that's such a good scene. Like, just watching uh, Stallone and Kurt Russell like go back and forth over this whole bad cop worst cop routine they're doing yeah. is just fucking amazing I, I do have to say like that team up uh, whenever they're on screen together and mm-hmm. Stallone is so he's calm but he seems to be constantly angry throughout the entire movie and then like Cash is just the opposite he's just bouncing off the wall constantly <laughs> and the two of them playing off each other really works well like yeah. I, I'm glad they put those two in a movie together yeah. Uh, we also have James Hong. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Not enough. I would argue not enough James Hong. De- definitely a side character, yeah. Definitely not as racist as last week. Right. A lope. What if that was the ending? It turns out he's Lopan the whole time. <laughs> well, that just pisses me right off. Uh, so good. Uh,. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this, this this movie is just a lot of fun. It's super crazy and yeah, it, it makes no sense. It makes like '80s action movie sense, which is yeah. not not our normal human concept of sense. Mm. Uh, this is this is also the movie that taught a whole bunch of children dangerous and possibly not accurate stuff about electricity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did like that when they're, when they're trying to escape the prison. He's like, so as long as we're only touching one wire and we don't touch the ground, we won't get electrocuted, right? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, is, is it right? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds right. Well, I'm going to was... let you go first to find out. I love the, if I die, are you even going to try this? Depends on how far you make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was maybe the best one-liner in the actually <laughs> despite the fact that the the uh, people making the movie clearly thought the is that a proposal line is the best one in the movie because it's the only one that they gave to both of the lead actors <laughs> which is like a huge crazy joke like what if a man proposed to another man wouldn't that be funny uh, so we do get scenes of apparently them looking at each other's dicks in the shower yeah which is which is weird, but all right. Uh, I like the fact that like at one point when they're forced, like they're forced to shower together as they get dropped off of the prison together, which is probably realistic that you'd all be sent into like a group shower at that point. And then like Kurt Russell drops the soap and bends over, and Stallone just reacts like as if the minute they get into prison, Kurt Russell's immediately going to try to blow him. That's what he thinks is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. It's, this, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like this is some gang that pinned you down in the shower. This is the guy you were just on the bus with. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, weird 1980s homophobia. I will say uh, when they kept dropping the is that a proposal line, um, uh, part of me was like, oh, it's nice that we've lived through a time when the idea of two men getting married was ludicrous back then. And now it's just kind of a normal thing that happens. <laughs> like, oh, that's good. I'd like to see a little progress in society. Apparently, Patrick Swayze was supposed to be cash at one point. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. That would be a very different movie. Dropped out to do Roadhouse instead. Probably the right decision. Probably. That actually sounds like it worked out well for everybody. Yeah. It's like one of those like Hollywood stories where you're like, somebody made the right decision and made that all come into play. Because <laughs> who else could do Roadhouse? Nobody else. Well, and the cash character needs a, a certain level of sleaze. And while Patrick Swayze is a fantastic actor and, and does good just about in everything, I don't. He he always comes off as so nice. I don't know if I could <laughs> believe that, him yeah. as the sleazy guy. Yeah, I don't know if you could buy him because he would dance at some point in the movie too, and that would throw everything off. Maybe dance with Terry Hatcher at her club. Yeah. Hmm. Seems like I read Kurt Russell was also up for the lethal weapon role, but didn't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, he, they, tur- he turned it down. I was that what it was? He turned it yeah, down. Yeah, I think they offered it to him, and he turned it down. Well. Again, that's probably the right move because that first lethal weapon movie, when you think about it, it's a little bit more of a serious role, right? Mm. And he's Russell's better at what he does in Tango and Cash. It's like he was feeling around for the perfect role and finally got it. Well, but Riggs is—I don't know—the Riggs character's kind of got that goofy craziness. I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine it without the. Uh, the Mel Gibson uh, repressed racist intensity that he has all the time. <laughs> I was going to say the, the that, Mel Gibson anti-Semitism. Yeah, he's got that. He's always got that constipated look in his eyes, like he wants to be screaming about the Jews, but he can't. Um, <laughs> but I could totally, <laughs> I could totally see Kurt Russell doing something different with that role in that movie still being awesome. Yeah, it's it's not crazy. It would just make the movie very different. Yeah. I agree. Could be better. Yeah. Could be worse. We'll just never know. Um, what else about Tango and Cash is awesome? Somebody else say their favorite part. <laughs> I was going to say something. I completely forget what it was. No, I don't know. Um, oh, uh, Stallone offered Kurt Russell a role in uh, The Expendables, but Kurt Russell turned him down. He was going to play the uh, Bruce Willis role. That's weird. I feel like in a movie like The Expendables, you just can't. How do you say no to that? I don't know. First you be Kurt Russell. Then you can do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) That's true. He's like, I'm holding out for these Netflix Santa Claus movies that are coming up. I got time for your Expendables franchise. Netflix has got deep pockets, son. <laughs> Plus, they're going to let me sing in these Santa Claus movies. And, well, he sings in those movies? Yeah. Oh. Have you does... not watched them? No. They're actually oh, pretty you delightful. Should, yeah, you should watch them. They're pretty, yeah, they're pretty good. I never thought I would say Kurt Russell would be the best Santa Claus ever, but, well, I mean, Kurt Russell kind of is the best Santa Claus ever. I don't know about best Santa Claus ever, but... Uh... Oh, you they shut are, your mouth. They are really, really enjoyable Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does like a blues, like weird blue, like Blues Brothers type of music moment 
in the first one. I don't remember what he does in the second one, but it's like gospel. Oh yeah. Alright. What about this movie though? Um I don't know. I just really like this movie. I've always liked it ever since I first saw it. Some people I think we kind of make fun of it and I'd be like, but but it's so much fun. It, it that's the thing is I think when people make fun of eighties action movies, they think that the movie doesn't know it's fun. Like they think that a movie like this is taking itself seriously. And it's like, no, it's not. Like the the people making this movie know that it's stupid that at the end when they kill all the bad guys they somehow don't have to go back to jail like they know that they know it's dumb they don't care right they wrote in the one line of dialogue where he found the tape that supposedly proves them innocent and then then, Uh, since they were innocent of that first crime they will now not be charged with any future crimes and that's good enough for 80s movies (laughs) yes the one cassette tape that proves the other tape was a falsified recording and this one Definitely is not a falsified recording that proves our innocence. Not to mention, just to get their hands on that tape, he does just, after breaking out of prison, break into that one building where the the sound recording studio or whatever it is, and just start shooting up the guy's equipment. (laughs) Because it's an 80s movie, so torture and that all just works to get information. So It's like, yeah, why not? How much did you guys speak of torture? So he pins that one guy down at the beginning, the guy that tried to kill him, and he <laughs> oh, tortures yeah. him into speaking English, which problematic to torture a guy because he's answering you in his native tongue, and you're like, no, fucking say it in English. But then in the courtroom, when that guy's using a translator, <laughs> he just... First of all, like it's problematic and so you I love watching Kurt Russell blow up and yell at that guy, except you would immediately be thrown in jail for that. <laughs> Number two is his lawyer should have objected because that guy is not related to the case that they're in court for. He should not be on the stand anyway. <laughs> supposed to be was he a character character witness for why he'd be a bad cop. <laughs> do you do you do when a when a police officer is charged with a murder, do you bring in character witnesses from like other crimes that he was involved in investigating <laughs> and, and ask uh-huh. the the criminals in the other crimes, whether they like the cop or not, as a way to just say whether he shot somebody. Uh, well, never, never been part of a trial where I was a cop, so maybe. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works. Mm. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The fucking uh, turbo van they have yep. was pretty solid, but, you know, that lasts just... like three minutes and then blows up. The whole thing at the end where they're just like, we need to really turn this into a giant action movie. This has just been entirely too subdued so far. <laughs> All we've done is like shoot people and punch them. We need to blow up entire buildings. Let's do that. <laughs> it's so crazy at the end because it just it just really cranks it up. And they just like, uh, who is that guy? Like, maybe I missed the line of dialogue because I was laughing at something else. But like, who's the guy they go to, to that just gives them a bunch of weapons? Some guy Kurt Russell knows. Just a guy he knows. They don't even give yeah. it a, any kind of backstory. Right. I don't even remember. <laughs> His name is the creepy counselor from Sleepaway Camp Two. Yeah, I completely forgot he was in Sleepaway Camp Two. Or no, is it three? Which uh, one's which one's he's that in, one? He's in one of them, but he's always might, just a weird guy. Three. He's always just a weird guy in any movie he's in. So. Doesn't matter. Uh, who else is in this movie? I know there's people we haven't talked about. Oh, Jeffrey Lewis plays uh, Stallone's police captain. <laughs> like, 
you're like police captain is that a job <laughs> i don't know well i almost said chief but that doesn't seem right yeah, well, i think there are both them. police chiefs and police captains. i believe they are in fact the captains though the, the character we're discussing was a captain uh lewis arquette <laughs> david arquette's dad was he the the FBI guy that arrested him and they bust into his house later when he's going to eat spaghetti. Oh, is that him? Yeah. Did you think, feel like that was just Stallone, like his inner Italian just shining through? Because he knocks that spaghetti on the ground and he looks at it with such disgust. Like when you think <laughs> that's what spaghetti is, like he's frustrated <laughs> by the fact that somebody's eating that and claiming it's spaghetti. He's more <laughs> disgusted with the guy who doesn't have a shredded six pack abs and. 1% body fat like he did at that moment. No, he's just angered by carbs in general. That's yeah. what I All right. Yeah. I was trying to understand that look on his face. Destroy the world and the carbohydrates. Uh, let's see. Looking at the trivia when Brian James was originally hired, it was a very small role with only two lines in an effort to give the character something that would make him stand out. James decided to speak in a horrible Cockney accent. Stallone loved it and rewrote the script to give him a much bigger role. Sure, why not? Uh, that he did the same thing with Robert Zadar. Robert Zadar, who was not supposed to appear past the opening scene, but they liked him so much they thought his appearance was so striking he deserved a larger role in the movie. I love that these like B-list guys get near Stallone and he's just like that guy's funny. Put him in more. <laughs> this producers are just like we don't we have to do what that one says we don't even, I'm even sure who these guys are their casting agent sent them over it's them it's them Zadar face bones can't get away from them uh, seems like I heard that uh, Stallone also had uh, the cinematographer fired um, really? it was Barry Sonnenfeld who went on to be a very famous cinematographer and yeah. director yeah, he fired. He had him fired because Stallone didn't feel like he was being lit to his satisfaction. So, so, so fire him. Get a different DP. Look at how saturated this light is. You're blowing out my lines. <laughs> Say what you will about Stallone. He takes his career very seriously, <laughs> and you can't argue with success. At the end of the day, everyone should shut up and do what he says. Like. Uh, oh, also the the sound effect of the the battle van at the end is the is the same sound effect of Luke Skywalker's land speeder in in a Star Wars the first Star Wars movie. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, that's all the interesting stuff it looks like. But yeah, well, I think most of the interesting stuff about the production of this movie is the stuff that ended up on screen. At the end of the day, like, <laughs> oh, apparently Michael Bean was also considered for the role that Kurt Russell played. That uh, uh, I don't like that. Uh, they have a whole list of people: Michael Bean, yeah. Pierce Brosnan, what? Kevin, Co- Kevin Costner. Costner, uh, I can see at least Harrison Ford. Makes no sense. Yeah, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson. Oh, Don Johnson. There's no way uh, true. Michael Keaton, Ray Liotta, Liam Neeson, uh, Gary Oldman. I feel like they're just listing actors. <laughs> Robert just... Patrick, uh, Bill Paxton. Uh, uh, yeah, I believe Bill Paxton was considered because he was considered for literally everything back then. 
uh, Ron Perlman, Dennis Quaid, Gary Sinise, Bruce Willis, and James Woods. What? Uh, that's what this. That's what this IMDb says. Yeah, they just that, tried that to create person. a list of all the actors that weren't in Tombstone, and they fucked it up and put Bill Paxton on it. That's all that happened. Uh, shortly after the movie re- was released, there was a very lethal, quote unquote, brand of heroin being sold in the Bronx. It was named Tango and Cash. This was stamped on the bags. The drugs were contained in. So many addicts overdosed and died. The NYPD was driving around neighborhoods using loudspeakers to tell people not to use this particular brand of heroin. This was reported on all the flagship network TV stations there as well. That's great marketing for the movie, actually. <laughs> right? You think about it. Tell you what, I wouldn't get down with uh, Ray Liotta as cash, but if you replaced uh, Sylvester Stallone with Ray Liotta, this might be a better movie. Ooh, shots fired, Stallone. I'm sure he's at home it's... crying himself to sleep. The problem with that with that argument is it would be a totally different movie if you replaced Stallone with Ray Liotta because Ray Liotta wouldn't take over production and try to run every element of it. So <laughs> you don't even know you, like what would the script look like under those circumstances. No one knows. So I I do think Ray Liotta would be fine in that character. I think he'd do a good job. Uh, we were talking about Elvis uh, Elvis Easter eggs before. And apparently, uh, when they're in the courtroom, conference room, and they're talking about their plea deal, yeah, uh, they're arguing over who's going to make the speech in the courtroom. Uh, Tango reminds Cash his birthday, the day he was hatched, is August 16th. So, August 16th is the day that Elvis Presley passed. Okay. And Russell was in... Russell... Kurt Russell was in, it happened at the World's Fair with Elvis, and of course played Elvis in the... Uh, the Elvis TV movie, and apparently did the voice of Elvis in Forrest Gump. Yeah. Which I was completely forgot about. And he didn't. He, some other thing that he did as Elvis, too. That's one of those. Uh, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Yeah. yeah. It was like an Elvis impersonator. I've still never seen two, it. But... Two Elvis impersonators battling it out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have a lot of fun with this movie. It was fun to rewatch it. Uh, anything else before we move on? No, it's, I mean, this movie yep. it holds up surprisingly well, so it's a recommend, I think, if people are wondering whether or not they should rewatch it. I, I had a blast with it, and I wasn't necessarily expecting to. So. Damn. If you're, feeling, if you're feeling like some dumb, funny uh, Stallone shit, watch this and stop or my mom will shoot. What? What? That's <laughs> you know, uh, if you, it's just, do you want to see Stallone teamed up with Kurt Russell or Estelle Getty? It's such a coin toss. <laughs> I saw that shit in the theater. Yeah, me too. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> My grandparents wanted to go, and I just wanted to go to the movies. So I was like, all right. And to be fair, my grandparents took me to see Harry and the Hendersons. And uh, Ernest goes to camp, so. I'm pretty sure I saw that with my grandfather, too. He took me to everything that was yeah. awesome in the 80s, so. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. 
Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, we got one piece of feedback. Me too. Our feedback. Friend, our friend Brian wrote in. And, he, and Doug's going to love this. He starts out the email with, I'm about to blow Noah's mind. <laughs> which which comedy from the 80s hasn't Brian seen? <laughs> I, alone. I, too, have never seen Spinal Tap. Whoa. Woo. Been holding on to that baggage for 37 years. You dial 9-1. I'll tell Noah you haven't seen Spinal Tap and you dial 1 again. <laughs> Uh, I really loved your coverage of Big Trouble Little China, but now you guys got me feeling bad for all the inherent racism. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. That's what we, that is one of the things we strive to do around here is make <laughs> our listeners feel guilty for enjoying movies. Uh, still in my top five, though, which I would agree with. Uh, been a while since I've seen used cars, but I totally remember everything about it as you discussed it. But I had a thought. If you guys didn't do this for CRAM, which stands for Kurt Russell Appreciation Month, Okay. Uh, this would have been paired really well with Bachelor Party. I know Noah said The Goods would have been paired well, but isn't that movie post-2000 breaking your own rules, Noah? Yeah, Noah. I didn't set the rules. I'm Who just contained did? by them. Who did? Because nobody seems to know. Did I, I set the rules? I, I do believe you said initially, let's not do anything after like 2000. It was very loose, and ever since then, the rules seem to be seem to arbitrarily change to prevent me from adding movies that Doug doesn't want to watch. That is There's an element of truth to what you're saying. Is, uh, well, as the founders of the podcast, I believe Brian and I have a bit of an override. <laughs> uh, no. If Noah fights hard enough, I usually give in and just let him do whatever he wants. Well, I know that's the problem because it takes two of us to override. <laughs> and me, I'm trying to override every fucking thing he puts on the list. So. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I guess I did make the rule. I honestly don't remember doing it. I'm not saying I didn't. I'm just saying I don't remember because I don't even remember what I said last week on the show. So. Uh, he said, he continues, if you guys haven't seen Bachelor Party, you need to add it to the list. Great raunchy 80s movie starring a young Tom Hanks. Uh, I guess you could do it during Hanksgiving. Oh, just came up with another, another theme month for us. Like I said, I think we should do a theme year of theme months. <laughs> no, we're not. This is too complicated. We're never going to get through that. It's a meta theme. It's a theme theme. <laughs> That's will fail. That having been said, we could just do a uh, a used cars appreciation show where we team up other movies that would go well with used cars and do Bachelor Party in the Goods. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, call it like Toyotathon or something. Uh, he also he says also I'm super late to this one, but I finally got around to seeing Dread, and holy shit, is that movie fan fucking tastic? I agree. Yes. Hey. Is. Hey, guess what, you son of a bitch? You waited around too long. You should have seen that movie whenever it was out so that it would have fucking done better. 
right? That'll <laughs> so, that that will never endingly piss me off that that movie didn't get a sequel and stuff. It's so fucking just awesome. Yeah, it's weird too because it's like Carl Urban has become so big since that movie came out, and he still openly says he'd like to do a sequel. You'd think that would be enough. Yeah, at this apparently, point. it's not. Because you could just do another standalone story that people wouldn't need to have seen the first one to appreciate it, right? Yeah. I'd really like to see a, a Judge Dredd movie where he goes up against Judge Death. Yeah. Be down for that. Some of the weirder stuff, you know weirder, what I mean? More supernatural, crazy stuff, or sci-fi, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, he says it's criminal. The stu- studios marketed that movie poorly. We should have had three sequels by now. Everything about it just worked. At least for me, it did. I know it's compared to The Raid, but I haven't seen it. I do have a bunch of 2080 books I bought digitally. I got it. Started getting to. Have you guys read any thoughts? And Carl Carl Urban, why isn't he in more stuff? I would venture to say... I would venture to say, and hear me out, he's a modern-day Kurt Russell. He's charismatic, tough as hell, and a great actor. That's all for now. As always, keep up the great work. I would argue... Carl Urban being? Like, come on, man. I would (laughs) argue he plays badass better than Kurt Russell. Mm. Plays badass, yes. Badass, yes. He's less charismatic, so... Uh, He's also agreed. Yeah. Um, I think it's just because Kurt Russell used up all the charisma and nobody else has, has any left. He, he, he pulled he pulled the charisma from the universe and that's why we have shitty presidents now. That's right. Uh, yeah, Carl Urban's on The Boys right now and he's yeah. pretty fucking awesome on it. So The guy, like, oh, he was, a, he was apparently a stormtrooper in Rise of Skywalker, but he probably doesn't want to admit to that. But, <laughs> like he's... Isn't he somebody in the MCU too? Some minor character. He was in, yeah, he was in the last Thor movie. Yeah. So what was Thor. his name? Scar, Kor, Korv. He, he, he was the the executioner. Scar, yeah, that's what it was. So at this point, though, he's like he's a main character in the the existing Star Trek universe. He's in the MCU. He's in the Star Wars universe. He was in the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm. He's on the boys. And Brian doesn't think he, he's popular enough. He's not doing enough things. It's like, fuck, there's no cinematic universes left for the guy. He could be the new Wolfman. Uh, oh, you know what? That's actually a good idea. I'd be down for that. I could see him as I would. I would also, you could sell him as Dracula, I think, too. Well, he's a hell of an actor, and he could pull off both. I think he'd be better suited to Wolfman, but he, he could work as Dracula. Do a less a less sexy and a slightly more sleazy Dracula. <laughs> he still uses like his accent from the boys. I mean, like his natural accent, but he still just turns up like the his sleaziness from the boys and just does that as Dracula. Calls everybody just, a cunt all the time. She <laughs> calls every every female character in it sugar tits, even though it's a period film. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, yeah. See, I mean, tell me you wouldn't watch it. I'd watch the shit out of that movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> 
somebody contact Carl Urban. We we got we got a movie to pitch to him. First, you'd have to convince Universal that they could actually do something good with their monsters that they own. Oh, we don't need Universal. Dracula's a uh, public domain character. We can just do whatever we want with them. I suppose that's true. <laughs> uh, all right. Did anybody watch anything since last week? The only thing I watched was the Snyder Cut. I mean, it's eight and a half hours long. So, <laughs> so how, the fuck, how the fuck was I supposed to watch anything else? Yeah, uh, I mean, we talked about it at the top of the show. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I'll wait for you guys to watch it, and then we'll do some spoilery stuff. It's it's too hard to talk about without spoiling. Well, Doug said he's not going to watch it, so it's going to be. Well, then I'll wait for you to see it, and right. Doug can sit and listen to us talk about it. Well, we'll just, maybe we'll do it at the end of the show, and I'll just quietly hang out. <laughs> yeah, we need we need you to provide commentary about commentary. About, All right. you're like that that sounds stupid. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Jared Leto looks fucking terrible in the still photos that they're using to market the movie, and I'm like, that's so. I would agree with that, but at the same time, looks so much better than Thuggalo Joker. Uh, I'd agree with that. Again, that I forgive it. One of the reasons why I don't have an interest in Justice League is because it's the culmination of a universe that was ruined previous to it being made. So, like, there's no there's no fixing anything post-Batman v Superman. So it doesn't matter mm. what else they do at this point. Yeah, well, except for just do a bunch of random standalone movies uh, that have nothing the, yeah. to do with the DC. Exactly. exactly. I don't... I'll... I'll tell you what, he, I don't think this is very spoilery, but he made the Snyder Cut in a way that seems fully intentioned on making sequels. I think so. Oh, yeah. I I mean, like, it's not subtle that they do that. But it's, he's he's on the record saying he has sequels planned and that he's been told he's not going to get to make them. But he just left his movie ending the way he wanted it to. Anyway, well, one of one of the things he's on record as saying is that he wanted Lois Lane to have Batman's baby and have Superman raise it. Which I was like, okay, you need to fucking stop, <laughs> right? <laughs> Somebody take it away. Take take the movies away from him. Exact. No, no. Smack him on the nose with a newspaper. <sighs> All right, well, do you watch anything, Doug? Well, while we're on topic, I watched, I finally watched a DC movie. <laughs> oh, yeah? Um, I finally got around to Shazam. Yeah! Oh, yeah! So... The good, the good side of DC. Yeah, I will... You know, I was hesitant to watch it because of all that other stuff. It was delightful. It was a very, very <laughs> enjoyable movie to watch. Mm-hmm. It was, a little grimdark considering the subject matter at hand. Um, but you, th- you think so? I didn't think it was just, very grimdark. Just a little bit. Just a, there was a little bit of like, it sounds silly, but like the language was a little bit too harsh. And you're like, this is a movie that could be for kids, but they didn't quite want to go that way with it. And just the, everything was just a little darker than what I anticipated given the subject matter, but it wasn't, enough to throw me off the movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. 
Um, I, it, you know what it reminded me of was Raimi's first Spider-Man movie with the whole thing of him having to learn to accept the responsibilities that come along with the powers and then learn mm-hmm. to harness the powers and use them and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and that's, you know, it's a huge compliment for me saying it reminds me of Raimi's Spider-Man. So uh, I was very happy with it. Performances were good, you know, pretty typical superhero origin story stuff from much of it, but executed well. Yeah, yeah I, this was, this was the first DC movie that I actually loved compared to everything else they had put out up to this point. Yeah. And I think they just was kind of like, yeah, it's Shazam, do whatever. I don't know. The DC, DC is kind of falling apart. Just do your own movie. Yeah, it's... But it was fun. I like the relationships between the characters. Um, the the lead performance from uh, what's his name, the guy that plays Shazam, exactly. he does Levi? a good job of he does a good job of encompassing like what if a twelve year old boy oh my was God. trying to deal with these superpowers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so when they cast him, I was like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like he's he doesn't look like a superhero. Like I don't understand what they're logic is and then when i saw the first like set photos of him in the suit i was like oh okay he's like basically an imagined version of what this kid thinks a superhero looks like that makes way more sense and i was totally on board after that it did take me a little while to get used to the suit which is it's like one of those uh, halloween costumes my kid has several of them where there's just muscles built in so you don't actually have to work out. Like, well, that's a little yeah. bit weird to see in an actual movie. But. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more exaggerated. I think this is one movie they can get away with it, kind of with, with sure. the way they're doing it. But, man, after I kind of went on board with that, I just uh, I was like, okay, I'm excited. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, holy shit, this was so much fun, and I had such a great time watching it. Why can't the other DC movies be this good? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Like, why can't if they can make one like this, why can't they make others? Yeah. Um, and I think you kind of hit on something there, which is it's the same thing that happened with Guardians of the Galaxy on the Marvel side. Is they they have these characters that are lesser known, and they're like, yeah, just go do your movie, go see what we see what you come up with, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they leave it in the hands of the filmmaker rather than having studio execs involved, and it turns out good. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm really happy. I was actually surprised at the ending. I don't know why, but I really enjoyed when he turned all his like siblings into Shazams as well. Yeah, which I was kind of surprised with. I figured that's something they would do in the sequel. Yeah, but they just went right into it. Right, because it it there's a there it kind of misses something because the whole point of him sharing his power is supposed to be in direct contrast to Black Adam. Mm-hmm. Which makes it make less, I don't know, it makes less sense without that context. Well, you know? in this movie, though, it, like, again, given that I don't know anything about Shazam comics, it is uh, in contrast to the other character. Like, I, don't, I don't even remember the villain's name, but he's Savannah. actually pretty, he's good yeah. in the role, like, and he's, and his whole thing is he's trying to get Shazam's power, so... Yeah. He's trying to hoard power while Shazam yeah. just gives it away. Yeah. Yeah. So it 
it does work on that level. It's very simplistic, but that's why I say this feels in some ways like a kid's movie. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, in the com- in the comic books, it gets interesting because so Black Adam basically got his powers the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Sh- and he's, Sh- he's, Shazam the Wizard also yeah. gave Black Adam powers. Yeah, and he's they reference him like super briefly towards the, when he's when they're doing the exposition dump of how they trusted someone and he turned on them or whatever. Yeah. That was Black Adam. Yeah, basically, in order to protect, he he decided to protect his people instead of protect the world, if that makes sense, and kind of became an authoritarian despot mm-hmm. in all this. But if, eventually, once he comes into contact with Shazam, it gets fun because... So Black Adam's actually more powerful than Shazam is because Shazam gave up some of his power to his family. So one-on-one... Black Adam can just beat the ever-living dog shit out of Shazam. But, you know, there's the whole thing where, but he's got backup, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and they're making a Black Adam movie with The Rock playing Black Adam. So So they won't need the uh, puffy muscle suit for him, I think. Uh, I don't think so. Because oh. The Rock is currently posting uh, videos of his Black Adam workout to get in shape yeah. for the movie. So That dude is fucking... <laughs> ripped yeah it's it's, it's so not, ridiculous it, and then you not, always think he could possibly get more ripped and then he gets yeah. more ripped it's just especially there's a, i mean there's, there's a point where you're like it's not okay to be that ripped like you should, your body's yeah. not designed for that especially since he's he's like sliding into 50 yeah and jesus christ like i don't <laughs> i don't understand it like if you look through his instagram I think the dude only gets like four hours of sleep a night because then he's up at like 3 a.m. like working out in the gym and yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, doing sure. like a billion things. So, yeah. <sighs> well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I. Did you watch the, uh, did you watch any of the post credit scenes? I don't remember. No. Well, there's the one where... Scenes? Uh, there's one where Mr. Mind shows up, which is a, uh, he's just a, a caterpillar. Okay, I didn't watch that. Um, in the DC comics, I think it's explained, and Noah will correct me if I'm wrong, that he's basically the the greatest mind in the entire DC universe, but he's trapped in the body of a caterpillar. Sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. Andy's, so, Andy's got some mind controlly powers and a few other yeah. things he can do. Yeah. So in this, it shows uh, Savannah locked in like a, uh, a cell. I don't know if it's like a asylum or whatever, but and he's just like scratching stuff onto the wall as they always show crazy people doing in movies like this. And then he hears a voice, and he's looking where it's coming from, and you just see this little caterpillar with this weird like teeny tiny like voice like voice box that he's holding up he's basically explaining to him how he's the greatest being in the universe and together they will take over everything and then you know cut to black or whatever um and then like the post credit scene it's just shazam and freddy arguing over how horrible of powers that aquaman has (laughs) <laughs> that's funny i want to know that in context aquaman would have been ready to 
come out not long after this movie too, right? Yeah, I think not so too long after, yeah. So that's like how like the MCU puts a like, post credit sequence to set up the next movie. <laughs> this was their version. I like that idea. Yeah, so they're like arguing and I don't even remember what they say, but it's just like it's like okay, but they're talking about the talk to fish thing. Yeah, oh, so we talks to fish. What if I fight him on land or something like that? Like they're just going back and forth. Just about how lame his powers are. It's kind of funny. That's good. That's good. This, in some ways, Shazam is like the kid-friendly version of Deadpool, where he's just like, <laughs> like I like that he exists in a world where he acknowledges all these other superheroes, but it doesn't feel like you could just edit him into Justice League or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's here in the. I was going to say, in the comic books, his interactions with Power Girl are one of the fucking best things that's just ever <laughs> been put into comics. Because he's looking at her boob window? Oh, constantly. It's just constant. <laughs> and it's constantly these weird, sexually frustrated, pubescent boy moments with this yeah. super hot tit window sex bomb <laughs> of a superhero. <laughs> Like, yeah. there's one where they're like, we need to split up. We're going to go in groups of, and he's like, Power Girl! I call Power Girl. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how it goes in continuity now, but, like, nobody knows he's, like, a 15-year-old boy inside of the Shazam body. So they just think he's, like, a regular adult, and then he does, like, weird 15-year-old dumb shit. And everybody's like, he's weird. In some of the cartoons, they did fun stuff where he would like go hang out with the the. Uh, well, I guess it was called Young Justice, but basically the Teen yeah. Titans, yeah. because because he could actually have normal conversations with them. <laughs> yeah, because they had for a while on the Young Justice cartoon, they had people essentially like staying at the base that the that they were all staying at, kind of like you know, essentially babysitting them, but they they weren't there to like you know, I don't know, be like a babysitter, but it's just, we need a hero on the premises just in case, you know, shit goes down that can sort of lead this team of young heroes. And so he gets signed up for it. And he's just like hanging out with all the young kids, but he looks like he's, you know, in his thirties. And it's just like, essentially that Steven, that uh, Steve Buscemi meme from 30 rock. <laughs> where he's like how do you do fellow kids like that's kind of what they think it looks like but in reality yeah he's like 15 <laughs> uh, what else did you watch um, after that uh, another superhero movie that I it took way too long to get around to I finally watched the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 oh yeah that's only been out for like 25 years or something so, so I'm curious what you thought of it because uh, I watched it when it originally came out and I just watched it as like, uh, okay, this is not going to be perfect because we don't have a time machine. You can't go back and refilm anything. And, uh, you know, you just kind of have to work with what you got. And they had to put some of the scenes were like, uh, essentially like, uh, audition scenes that they shot between Lois Lane and, uh, Margot Kidder and uh, Christopher Reeves and you know like practice footage and stuff like that so some of it's not perfect but I feel like it creates a much more compelling story than the actual part two ended up being yeah so I haven't seen Superman 2 in a while my original plan was I was going to watch all the Superman movies 
And then I was like, ah, three and four, I liked them when I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure they're bad movies. So I don't want to yeah. watch them and ruin my memory of them. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'll watch three's a three. weird movie. Four is yeah. a bad movie. Yeah, four is a bad movie. Three can still be kind of fun just because Richard Pryor's in it. And yeah. Red Kryptonite Superman fighting himself is kind of just this weird, funny oddity that you could watch. Yeah, we'll see. I don't oh. know. I don't want to watch them. Then I so sure. I was gonna watch one and two, and then mm. and then I thought, well, I'll watch both versions of two, and then I'm like, now nah, I'll just watch the one that I can get by pushing a couple of buttons, and I won't worry about watching any of the other things. <laughs> so sure. I, so I just watched the Donner cut. Um, so having it been a while, I do, I did think the story the it felt more going off memory, like there was a lot more going on between mm. Lois and Clark, like that Lois is a much bigger part of this story. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, that's important because I can't remember exactly what his thinking was to give up his powers in the first one. But if she was, if you edit more and more of her out, um, then what's the point? Like what, why would he do this? Right. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really notice again, I wasn't really watching for it, but I didn't notice which scenes were, you know, quote unquote unfinished or whatever uh, footage from so it's specifically the scene where she gets him to admit that he's Superman. Uh and the thing I loved about this version whereas in the uh in the theatrical version or whatever the way she finds out he's Superman is just like oh that like oh he knocks her hairbrush into the fire and he goes to grab it and his hands not burned and like all this other like you know yeah. dumb stuff. Whereas in the second one, they make her way more intelligent. In the beginning, she's literally looking at a picture of Superman on the front page of the Daily Planet. She looks up and sees Clark Kent, and then she goes, wait a minute, and then gets a Sharpie and draws a hat and glasses on Superman. And she's like, he's fucking Superman. Like, that's... And that's way more interesting than the dumb shit they go through. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I like that moment of her figuring it out. I thought that was really yeah. well done. I couldn't remember if it was from the original or not. It was not. And okay. then uh, the specific scene where she gets him to admit it is when she pulls a gun on him and she tells him, oh, you're Superman. Like, it's no big deal. He's like, now, Lois, I'm not Superman. He's getting all nervous. Like, you should put the gun away. And she's like, no, it's all right. It's okay. You're Superman. It's going to bounce right off. And then she pulls the trigger and you can see him get really pissed. And he's like, Lois, <laughs> If, if I wasn't Superman, Clark Kent would be a dead man right now and you would have just murdered him. And then she's like, well, I mean, not if there's blanks in the gun. Gives him that smile and he's just like, God damn it, you've got me again, Lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you goddamn rascal. I, yeah. I really liked the performance from Christopher Reeve in that moment. That mm-hmm. That's sort of like, you're right, he gets angry and then he immediately goes into like, lecture mode like superman like the way he would lecture the people <laughs> that he was stopping on the street in as i remember it from part one and stuff like you know he always had something to say about why what they were doing was wrong and i liked that mm. yeah yeah so so that was audition footage or rehearsal or something but they ended up you know obviously completely cutting the scene when they uh because originally they were shooting the first two movies like all at once yeah and then they just decided to finish up the first one, 
put it out and then Donner got fired and they reshot like pretty much everything from part two. So that was like rehearsal footage or something that they had, but wasn't like what they were going to use for the actual scene. So they just kind of repurposed it and put it in there. Turns out he puts in a hell of a performance during his rehearsals. Then, yeah. Because it's really well done. Yeah. Um, and then, I also uh, I, I, the... I picked up on a few like action sequences that I don't like. I'm like Kim getting thrown at like the Statue of Liberty and stuff. I'm like I feel like mm. I'd remember that if it was in the first movie, but maybe I'm making it up. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I was gonna say I know all the Brando stuff was put back in because yeah. originally they cut him out just to save money. And went with Superman, Superman's mom instead for her for his contact or whatever. Yeah, and I, I don't I I know that from just pop culture yeah. knowledge, but I don't remember her performance, so I don't remember how bad it was. But it just is illogical to not have it be Jarrell. Yeah, it was, it was Jarrell in the first movie. So well, the, yeah, the whole situation of why Superman is giving up his powers has changed, and I don't remember like what the impetus was other than just I'm in love with her so I want to give up my powers in the, in the theatrical cut um, the thing I like in the Donner cut is we see a more flawed version of Superman that he gets very selfish at one point which is I think way more interesting than you know, well, the paragon of virtue that we're used to, and especially in the like a 70s Superman movie doing this, I thought was interesting. The, the whole thing with him giving up his powers, I didn't feel it was very well explained because basically Jarrell is like, well, if you're going to be with this woman, you have to give up your powers because you can't do both. Yeah. And I didn't really understand why. Yeah. Other than, other than they're trying to avoid the tension that exists in the new TV show. It's the... <laughs> Yeah, Um, I'm wondering if that was like a like an explanation or a scene that was never filmed that was supposed to. uh, I'm thinking maybe there's something missing there. I didn't think it was very clear, but I think you're right. Like it is Superman saying, "I give up my responsibility because Mm. I want what I want out of life. I want something for me rather than to do service to the world." And it's kind of throws a mini temper tantrum, which I kind of like when you know Jor-El's like, "No, you can't." And he's like, why can't I? Why can't I do something for myself? Why do I always have to do stuff for everybody else? But yeah. it's never for me. And yeah, I thought I thought that story beat was way more interesting than what we ended up getting. So yeah, I, I liked that story beat. Although I didn't, again, I still think it was kind of underdeveloped a little bit. But sure. I also thought it... Then Superman has something to do, right? Because... Once Superman is just fist-fighting villains, yeah, some of it's fun to watch and stuff, but Superman kind of becomes interesting. Yeah. Um, but this was Superman having this emotional struggle and having to learn the lesson, which is that if, if you don't come through for your... If you don't put your responsibilities ahead of your desires, then you're going to end up... It's gonna, everything's going to end up wrong. You have to do what you have to do first, and then you can do what you want to do on your spare time kind of thing, which is a pretty simple superhero message to throw in. It's the the great powers have great responsibilities kind of supermaned up, right? And yeah. I liked that he had that lesson to learn. Like It's how you make Superman interesting is by ha- having him have to learn lessons because 
him learning to fly is not going to work in the second movie kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the other really big change would be the end of the movie. And this is where I'm going to have problems. Okay. Well, I think I have a, an answer to your problem. Okay. Um, so originally, the let's spin the world back around in reverse time was supposed to be the ending of the second movie. Okay. They could not figure out how to end the first movie, and they decided, you know what? If we take this reverse time thing and put it on the end of the first movie, we have, you know, it fixes, you know, Lois dies in the car or whatever. It's like an emotional beat. We can then have him reverse the earth, reverse time, and all this stuff. Um, so what if we just do that on the first movie? We'll come up with a new ending for the second movie when we come back into production. And then, of course, they never got to do that so richard donner is just like well let's just use the original ending that we were using for the second movie even though it makes no sense in the context of the first movie or the second movie so and i guess my response to that would be i think the whole concept of superman flying in circles around the earth and reversing time is dumb i don't like it sure i i just i'm against it but then i don't know whose fault it is but they're completely in, incompetent when it comes to executing it as well yeah um so because like in the first one i've always had the complaint of he reverses time so that he can go back and save lois but like because there was like there were, i'm trying to remember because i haven't seen it in a while but there's the two missiles and he has mm -hmm. to pick which one right and he picks the wrong one so lois gets killed yeah but then he reverses time and he goes and saves lois so what happened to that other missile? Yeah, Theoretically, like New York, like the East Coast is destroyed, right? Because he <laughs> decided to go save the West Coast. And yeah. they don't address it in the movie at all. And, you know, in this one here, they kind of, they, first of all, I don't like the fact that he reverses time, like, by, by like, weeks or months. <laughs> it just, so sure. that nothing in that happened in the movie actually happened. Mm -hmm. is basically what happens which is to me I, I don't like an ending to it like it's it's the old like oh i woke up and the whole thing was a dream ending i, I don't sure. really like that ending to yeah. movies um but then also they have him still go back to that little cafe because they still want their little funny ending mm -hmm. to the movie where he goes back to the cafe and beats the guy up that beat him up when he had no powers mm -hmm. he makes this little joke oh i've been uh, i've been working out and it's yeah it's a funny little scene but why did the stuff that happened in that diner not get reversed? Like everything else on Earth got reversed. Right. It's, it's like it they're sense. Yeah, they're literally in there cleaning up the mess that he made earlier in the movie, which he, if he reversed time, then that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So it's like just. I think, I think it's another problem of, well, we, we can't reshoot anything. So what are we going to do? I think the better explanation would have just been cut that out completely. But yeah, for some reason, Donner still used it in his recut. I mean, it is a funny scene. It's a funny little end note to the movie, except it just makes no goddamn sense in the context of yeah. the new cut. So I, yeah. I don't know. I don't like that ending. I don't like it in the first movie. I don't like it in the second movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think superheroes should fly around the earth really fast and make it go backwards <laughs> for the first time. That's I, uh... I agree. I've always thought that was problematic. Like, why wouldn't Superman just do that all the time? Yeah. Like, uh, some, some, you know, volcano blew up, killed a bunch of people. I should probably just reverse time and then get there sooner so I can evacuate more people. 
It, yeah, it almost seems like it would be easier for him rather than trying to stop crime, wait for it to happen. Like every morning, get up, read the Daily Planet. <laughs> what was the worst thing that happened yesterday? Okay, reverse time to just before that and go there and make sure that never happens. Then the next day, just do the same thing. If there's two bad things in the same day, you could just reverse time twice so you can stop both. It's... Yeah. It doesn't even I seem agree. that difficult to him. He doesn't even seem tired after he reverses time. I agree. Um, I will say, though, I don't know if the uh, amnesia kiss is such a good idea in today's climate. Feels uh, kind of weird and rapey. Like, I'm going to kiss you, and then you're going to forget everything that's happened over the past couple weeks. Yeah, I don't really like that either, but... <laughs> uh... Oh, the 70s. What were you doing? Yeah, I don't... There's a, a, an interesting philosophical debate that everyone can choose to have on their own, and we won't do it on this show, but if the kiss is consensual at the start of it, but by kissing her you make her forget that she consented, is it is it rapey or not? I don't know. That's The listeners can discuss it amongst themselves. Did you ever see the Donner Cut, Noah? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Should be on the YouTube. Uh, it's a like I said, it's a, it's an interesting experiment to see how different the second movie could have been because I'm not a big fan of the Saran Wrap S and the other Nick. weird shit they put in that movie. But the whole thing where they just Superman just randomly has whatever powers he needs. Yeah, but yeah. I will say the performances I really enjoy. They're it's yeah. a a different time and place and their 80s performances but Christopher Reeve is good Terrence Stamp is good mm-hmm. like they're all just fun to watch so do you ever hear uh, cause I got like a box set of all the Superman movies uh, back when it was after Superman Returns comes out came out um, they collected like all the Superman movies together and then bunch of documentaries and stuff and it was in this big like metal like case and stuff but so they have like new interviews with everybody at that point and terrence stamp was talking about how he loved playing uh general zod in the movie had a great time with it it was so much fun and he said that he still gets recognized as general zod like when he's just out and stuff and he said one of his favorite things that he's that's ever happened was he was walking at night and there was some uh, rough looking rough looking people up ahead and so he was like ah fuck I'm gonna have to walk by these people hopefully there's no no trouble or whatever and somebody it's like he said one of the guys like looked at him and was like hey aren't you that Zod guy and he just responded with Yes, now get out of my way. And they all just like parted and let him walk by without <laughs> doing anything. It was like, that's, that's amazing. Funny. He should have gone back and tried to make him kneel. <laughs> right? <laughs> kneel before me. Yeah, you can tell he's having fun with the performance. And I'm glad he did because I enjoyed watching it. So. Yeah. yeah. So you're going you're gonna to go back and watch... The, uh, the the theatrical version. I, see if see if there's any uh, anything that stands out that's different. I'd like to tell you yes, but part of me just thinks the moment has passed yeah. at this point. I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah, it was a moment in time sort of thing. It was like, yeah, I, I could make a whole week out of just this Superman adventure I'm going to go on. Or I could you know, watch this one movie and be done with this whole thing. Did you ever see uh, The Adventures of Super Pup? No. So again, that box set that I have has a pretty awesome like documentary just about Superman in general, like from the comics into the Fleischer cartoons, into the movies, uh, the old TV shows and stuff. So they even they even in this box set included the pilot episode of The Adventures of Super Pup. So what happened was um, so there was that George Reeves Superman show and it was going on insanely popular, you know, people loved it. And then George Reeves commits suicide and the show is still on. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize the show was still on when that happened. Uh, if my recollection is correct, it was still on at least the, the, the way they're making the, the reasoning for this super pub pilot is, is why I'm thinking it was still on. So he commits suicide, and they're like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we need, of course, the the mentality is, well, we're going to lose money because we can't do this show anymore. What if we retrofit the sets and do a TV show called The Adventures of Super Pup, Superman's, like, dog, but it's all, like, anthropomorphic, like, animals, and we'll just get little people and they'll put like, you know, the 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 Disneyland heads on. I absolutely love this idea. Just... And we'll we'll voice it over. And we'll just we'll just act like, yeah, this is a show. Like he works at the Daily, you know, Planet or whatever the dog version of that is. And you know, we'll make a TV show out of it so we can keep using the sets so it won't cost us anything. And we'll still have a show that we can put out. And like, I haven't watched the pilot, but apparently it was so terrible. It did not I, get picked up. Of course. I, I love the idea. I'm so in love with this idea of just, <laughs> what if we just put funny heads on midgets and then we still call it Superman. Is that a thing? Can we do that? And everyone's like, yeah, let's shoot. Let's shoot that. <laughs> you know some like one guy approved it and all the yes men around him were like well if he thinks it's a good idea then i guess it's a good idea what are you gonna do we can't say anything about the boss like <laughs> sounds like nightmare fuel <laughs> oh it's great i just found a picture of of super pup i'm gonna put it in the chat you gotta see this it's amazing um it's just gonna be sick val kilmer again when we all look <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, here it is. Yeah, so they tried to do something, but uh, it uh, did not feel so well, as they say. Right. Yeah, the uh, the documentary was really good. Now, maybe a little weird because Kevin Spacey was the narrator on it because you know he was lex yeah. luther in the last movie so just don't listen to it if you're under 18 you'll be fine <laughs> all right you made you went and made everything sad again yeah well do you know what uh watching superman 2 made me think of is that when we were discussing the cw show i forgot yeah. to bring up my absolute favorite moment in those first two episodes yeah which is when he tells his kids he's superman and they go, 
no way, man. We've seen Superman. <laughs> and he stares straight at them and he pulls the glasses off and they're like, oh, it is Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I even noticed. That's it was hilarious. awesome. It's just, it was obviously an intentional little like joke that they just, but they did it very seriously. Like, it was, it was really good. <laughs> so. Uh, that's uh, funny. Anyways, uh, did I watch anything else? Oh no, did you? I don't know. I'm, I'm checking. Oh yeah, right. This is the part where I get mad at you for changing the theme of the show. Because remember, it was supposed to be Kurt Russell Cop Week, and then you changed it to oh. movies. Kurt Russell stars alongside one of the Stallone brothers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I went back and I watched Dark Blue anyway, even though you didn't want me to. Yeah, I was like, don't do it, Doug. Don't do it. You're adamantly opposed to me seeing this movie. And yeah. I'm like, well, I'm watching it. I don't give a shit. Um, I so have you seen you. it? I have not. No? No. Um, so basically, it's, uh, it's, it's a movie about corruption in the LAPD. Um, Kurt Russell plays a detective who's part of this... Uh, sort of elite force and they're known for like being particularly violent and it turns out that they have a tendency to they sort of like to kill bad guys and they sort of like to uh, get their their numbers up by saying they solved all sorts of crimes so what they'll do is they'll just basically pick some bad guys that they can blame a crime on get a search warrant raid the house end up killing the bad guys then they can close the case and say, yeah, those were the guys, and nobody asks too many questions because there's nobody left to ask the questions. And uh, that's they've, in their minds, they've done good because they've taken bad guys off the street and they've brought their case numbers down, right? Um, not exactly what most people would see as typical police work. And so the idea of the movie is Kurt Russell's training his new partner and kind of introducing him to this new life. And uh, there's some things that go on where it turns out there's even more corruption going on than that because that's not enough. And eventually he sort of ends up with uh, having to choose between, you know, doing the right thing or staying with this team that he's on. Uh, with the whole thing being set during the Rodney King trial, so much so that the climax of the movie takes place on the day that the verdict is announced. And so the final, like, action scenes all take place during the L.A. riots that occurred back in, like, 92 or whatever that was. 93, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, get it out of the way early, that idea of having Kurt Russell chasing suspects through the L.A. riots makes for really fun action scenes. Because it's like he can't get out of his car to chase guys because, you know being a white guy in South Central LA and yeah. on that particular day is not a great place to be. And like every time he stops the car, he's like looking for the bad guys. People just start pelting his car with garbage and bricks and shit. Uh, so that element of the film was good. Performances are all good. Um, Thing Rames plays like the sort of good guy cop that's trying to take down this um, this unit that he knows is doing things that are wrong. He doesn't know exactly what they're doing. There's, there's a couple other guys in it that you'd recognize. The guy from 28 Days Later is the 
sort of chief of the unit, captain, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I think my my problem with the movie is that it's trying to be like a '70s crime thriller, but it was made in 2002, and that just wasn't necessarily a good time to be making that type of movie. And yeah. so, a lot of the stuff where like there's like a whole like subplot involving Kurt Russell's wife. And that's supposed to play into it in a semi subplot involving him doing his, uh, he's like kind of an alcoholic. And uh, that's all there. And it's like, I think what they're trying to do is like build character and stuff. And I keep thinking, like, again, in the 70s, this type of thing worked in 2002 style of filmmaking. It kind of feels like they're glossing over it all and it's just there to fill time. And therefore, the story arc of him deciding whether to stick with his corrupt unit or turn against it is uh, it does, doesn't really feel earned necessarily. It sort of feels like it. He turns on a bit of a dime, and there's the. I don't know if I should spoil it or not, but the, like the motivation when he finally decides he's going to go against this is basically that his. Um, he realizes his captain is sending him in to be killed, and it's like, well, that's not really learning your lesson if the only reason you learn your lesson is because if you don't you'll get shot you realize you're they're literally trying to kill you um, so i felt yeah i felt a little unearned um and there's it it ends the movie sort of ends with him because also on this same day of the la riots he's also being promoted and there's like a ceremony where they're for all the people that are getting promoted they all get to come up and get their new badges and shit and so it ends with him getting on getting up there and making a big speech exposing a lot of what's gone on. And that feels very 70s as well, that, you know, ending your movie with the good guy, not only just, instead of just him shooting a guy, it's him getting up and making some long speech about how everybody needs to learn to do the right thing and whatever. And it's like, and in a 2002 movie, I don't, it doesn't feel right. Just the style of filmmaking that comes from that era. So it wasn't, terrible I, overall i'd say i liked it but there's a lot of issues i had with it watching it and i think they could have they probably could have scaled it down like it's a two-hour movie they probably could have made it an hour and a half and it just it would have worked just as well excise all the stuff with him having problems with his wife and whatever else just mm-hmm. make it more of a, a little bit more of an actiony type movie yeah but yeah i was, I was definitely good. definitely interested in checking it out that's kind of why i originally had it on the list but uh yeah yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm being overly critical of it because I like Kurt Russell's performance is solid. Um, the, all the action elements of it work pretty well, uh, but you know, then there's like a weird subplot of his partner is sleeping. There's a whole like, tell me if this is annoying. So this partner is sleeping with a another cop, right? Like a, a chick cop, but. They have to write in that he does that they refuse to exchange last names and they don't talk about their work at all because it takes the fun out of their little fling. And then it turns out she's one of the cops working for Ving Rames' character to to bring down this unit. And so that eventually leads to conflict. And it's like, really? Like, is that where we're at in your in your quote unquote like serious thriller movie? That's the plot line. That doesn't feel right. Yeah. And then there's another plot line where that same girl had an affair with the Ving Rhames character, you know, several years ago. And so now somebody's using pictures of that. So now we have to deal with Ving Rhames' marriage's problems when his wife gets the pictures in the mail. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, 
I don't know that I want to deal with all that. Yeah. Like, deal with the, the cop stuff, right? That's what's interesting in a movie like this. Again, there's probably a very, very good hour and a half long movie in this two hour movie. And yeah. it's. Yeah, it seems more like fodder for like a police procedural show than. You know, there's like an a, element to that. Yeah. Like, there, like a lot of those, a lot of those subplots would be the kind of thing you're doing when you're trying to get a TV show up to 22 episodes a year, right? Mm-hmm. And then in a movie, and again, in, in a different style of movie, they might work as well, but it's just in in a crime thriller, we want to concentrate on the crime and the thriller elements, right? So. Yeah. But, you know, again, I'm saying all the negative things about it, but... It's not. It's it was it was okay. Hmm. Nice. Just so. Yeah, I'll have to check it out at some point. It's, yeah, I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are on it. Because um, you know we tend to agree on a lot of this type of stuff. So maybe I'm completely wrong, and you can point it out. But <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll probably argue back on you. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah, that's all I watched this week. So. Uh, well, I only watched two things this week. Uh, the, the first one was a movie called Boss Level. Okay. It is a another one of those uh, Groundhog's Day ripoffs. Okay. But a completely over-the-top action movie. Uh, it stars uh, Frank Grillo, who I'm a big fan of, which is probably the only reason I gave it a, uh, a chance, because the... Groundhog's Day thing is starting to get a little overused, I think, but I give it a chance anyway. The uh, the big bad guy is played by Mel played by Mel Gibson. So as Noah pointed out earlier, straining really hard to hold in his anti-Semitic uh, shouting during the movie. Um, but one of the things I do like is that it basically throws you into the middle of it already. He's already on like his hundred and hundred and fiftieth like uh, trip, and every morning he wakes up with a guy trying to kill him, like literally like swinging a machete at him, and it gets stuck in the headboard type of thing. So, and then from there he's like pretty much on the run for the entire rest of the day because somebody's put a hit out on him. So like every Every uh, quirky movie type assassin in this movie is is after him, so he's trying to outsmart him the entire way, and then of course has to figure out how his how his ex wife is tied into whatever it is that's causing the day to repeat and uh, whatever he needs to do to fix it. Um, it's fun. It's just kind of a stupid, over the top, giant action movie. At one point, he uh, grabs a giant chain gun off of a helicopter, just mows down a bunch of people, which is tons of fun. They have uh, they play some with the uh, time loop concept, like he'll discover a piece of information, but he he'll he knows that he can't do anything with it until the next time he loops, so he'll just blow himself up or shoot himself in the head or whatever caused some sort of giant explosion which throws everybody for a loop of why this guy's just 
blowing himself up when he's been running from him all day. So it's fun. I'd enjoy it. I'd recommend it. It's a, a Hulu original. So worth checking out if you got Hulu. Uh, and the other thing I watched is a weird documentary that for some reason became really popular over the past two weeks. I mean, it just came out, so I guess that's why. But it's kind of just a weird concept. It's called Kid 90. And so Soleil Moon Fry, who played Punky Brewster back in the 80s, apparently was friends with every teenage child actor through the 80s and 90s. And also had a camcorder and videotaped, like, everything. And so this is her kind of going back through the footage, which she's never watched since she shot it. And just sort of examining like all of her friendships with people and what they were going through, what they were doing. Um, the great tagline for this documentary would be celebrities. They're just like people. Cause it's literally just like a bunch of like teenagers hanging out. Just so happens they happen to be famous, but like all this footage just kind of shows them just being like regular teenagers. And um, I mean, she's still friends with a lot of those people. So then it cuts to them, like having conversations about them hanging out and what they're, how they became friends. And some of them watch some of the footage and, you know, are completely cringeworthy the entire time. Cause I think that's what all of us would do if we watched home movies of ourselves from the nineties. Um, and it, it's just sort of a reflection on, uh, sort of being a teenager, even though you're kind of famous, but still like all the shit that you go through and reflecting on how, how all that stuff felt at the time and when stuff you thought was important and it turns out is not important whatsoever. But, and then she's just like looking at all of her friendships and then it gets to a really sad part where she talks about like the three friends of hers that were famous, that killed themselves. Uh, Jonathan Brandis being one of them and just how much of a bummer that is. So, um, I enjoyed it. It's like I said, it's just kind of a nostalgic reflection piece, uh, with a bunch of child stars that anybody our age definitely grew up watching. Um, she's talks to, uh, Mark Paul Gossler, Zach Morris. And, uh, we find well, we find out she lost her virginity to Charlie Sheen, which I find weird and gross. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's also on Hulu. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, well, Doug's not back yet, so I guess next week uh, we're doing Eye Patch Week. We're wrapping up uh, Kurt Russell month. So we're finally getting to the big eye patch week, which Doug has been going on about for like the past year since we came up with Kurt Russell month. Um, so our goal is going to be to see if we can somehow tie the movie Captain Ron into being a prequel to Escape from New York. So we have to see if he went from being some weird uh, tropical boat captain to being one of the most badass uh, I don't want to say mercenary, but just, I don't know, all around badass, I guess. I mean, and really, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a connection. We just have to, we just have to find it. We're going to have to watch and find out. 
Um, I don't know. Anything you're looking forward to in these movies? Uh, I'm just looking forward to watching them again. Yeah. I haven't seen Captain Ron in a long time. I haven't either. I think the Martin Short of it might have uh, kept me from rewatching it, but we'll see. Are you back, Doug? I am back. I just got back. We just Sounds announced like... Eye Patch Week next week. Super excited. <laughs> yeah. I have a uh, feeling Captain Ron is a little lady's rapey. <laughs> I think. <laughs> it might be. Um, but we'll see. We'll have Maybe to see. For some reason, my family loves this movie. Like my mom made a reference to it a couple of weeks ago when I posted posted something about Kurt Russell on my Facebook. Without me even like saying like, "Hey, we're gonna be watching Captain Ron." It was just, "Oh, I love Captain Ron." And my brother used to uh, quote it all the time. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe I should be more excited for it than I am because I'm a little nervous, but we'll see. <laughs> Have you ever seen it before? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Just not in a long time. Yeah, I was gonna say, if nothing else, it's just gonna be. Kurt Russell charisma all over the screen, so you just kind of go with it. Yeah, there's definitely a scene where he plays poker with a child and shares his beer with the child. And well, that was one of the things my brother used to quote all the time. Like the kid goes, "Get your own beer." That that's specifically it. The kid goes to take a drink of his beer, and he's like, "What are you doing? You want a beer? You go get your own beer." And like snatches the beer back from him. So yeah, we'll see. See how we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, we'll see. It, it might be really good. So, well, let's not let's not get too too excited just in case. So I told Noah the uh, the goal is to find out if we can figure out a way to make Captain Ron a prequel to Escape from New York. Somehow he goes from a tropical boat captain to being a uh, all around badass by the time Escape from New York comes around. Uh, I don't see why it's not canon. Having not watched either movie, so. <laughs> so when did Captain Ron come out? Ninety-two. And then when was Escape from New York set? I think ninety-seven. So it oh. makes complete sense when you think about it. He's like yeah. even like still age appropriate and stuff. Yeah. So something happened during that five years where everything went to shit, and then he became this legendary badass. Let's see. Um, I don't know. Anything else? No, we do. We don't know how to end a show without WandaVision discussions. So. I know we don't. We don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> I did. I did watch the making of last week. They put a making of thing up. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's pretty much what you expect, but yeah. there was some fun stuff. They were showing how all of the bewitched stuff in the first episode they did as practically as they could. So. You know, they have stuff on fishing line, like floating in the kitchen and stuff when they were shooting, which was a lot of fun. It seemed like they did. So. Yeah. And then they had a uh, they had a live audience when they taped it. And uh, but the thing is, they made it seems like from looking at the video. They uh, they had the audience also wear period appropriate clothing. Really? Yeah. 
seems unnecessary. So they got all the guys in suits and all the women in like these 50s dresses and stuff. Yeah. So it's fun. Uh, so Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts tomorrow. Yeah. Are we going to be doing a uh, spoilery discussion every week? I would assume we have to. Yeah. I didn't Keep even think it think started until next week. I'm yeah. super excited now. Yeah, starts in uh, three hours. Yeah, I was uh, I was hoping that it uh, when the when the finale w- was going up, I'm like, oh, do they post it at like midnight in New York? And so I waited, and it's like, nope. <laughs> do they post it at two a.m. Pacific time? Sure do. God damn it. Yeah, I know. I knew it didn't uh, go up. In- at uh, midnight because I tried a couple times. So <laughs> I think even with Mandalorian, I tried to watch a couple like after we were done recording. Yeah. So for the finale for WandaVision, I stayed up because I'm like, so help me if I get up and look at my phone and there's like 20 spoilers already out. So I was like, fuck it. I'm staying up till two, watching WandaVision and then going to bed. Well, I'm excited for tomorrow now. We'll get a chance to watch uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I watched uh, like a spoiler-free review of it today on YouTube and people saying it's actually quite good so well good I didn't know what to expect so we'll see um alright I don't know how to wrap it up so I guess I guess we'll just end it there just done just yeah over someone yell the word done or whatever done please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.